move your heavy unit, move your uh, heaviest bleh, bleh, brain go bye bye. Uh, <laughs> move your your God, I've lost Mo- heavy attack. Move your move your heavy support, like heavy support, brain, my contributors. Brain. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that knows the custodes did nothing wrong. Don't add us. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And this is episode 215, in which we are going to be talking about something that you can be doing while uh, in quarantine land, and that is starting a new army. Because even though GW may be temporarily shut down, doesn't mean you can't get your hands on and start planning on a new army. Uh, but first, as always, we're going to do our normal segments, which includes uh, news and new releases, uh, your listener mail, hobby progress, and then, of course, the morale phase. Uh, of course, the morale phase will be at the end, but... Uh, First off, uh, you know, news and, well, I guess first off, check in. How's everybody doing? Doing well. Just uh, a lot of time, more time to work on stuff. But uh, yeah, it's it's going well. I'm doing all right. I just uh, have a hard time telling what day it is. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll say pretty much the same. I mean, the days kind of blur together and. I'll say a lot of the stuff I had planned has been put on pause, so it's it's an interesting time. Yeah, interesting time is definitely one way to to look at how we're how the world is right now. But uh, yeah, you know, kind of same here. Uh, days we actually are keeping track of the days just because the kids have school and like what they're doing on different days changes, so that kind of helps. But it does still kind of like weekends are kind of this just nebulous idea of, oh, and these are the days that we stay home and they don't do school. (laughs) But otherwise, it's like, (laughs) these are the days we stay home and these are the days we stay home and do less or do different things. But yeah, keeping busy here, too. But uh, speaking of keeping busy, uh, despite the fact that they cannot sell any models yet, uh, that they haven't been able to reopen their their warehouses or production lines yet gw has not been idle obviously they've been continuing with all their online outreach but more importantly they had their third warhammer preview uh not the last one just the last one for april they said they'll have more coming up in may so they are continuing to feed us uh more and more information about uh what's coming out in the next several months once things get more or less back to normal uh, and, uh, most, we're going to primarily stick to the 40k stuff this time, but I will point out the new giants for, uh, <laughs> Age of Sigmar are just A, very impressive kits, and B, like, night size massive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff people do with conversions for those, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Moving on. Uh, Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress is getting its final expansion, its very last expansion. Uh, so they are basically finishing up the storyline that they they set out when they first put this game out a couple of years ago. And uh, so Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress Ascension is the final expansion pack. And uh, 
the big thing literally that's being released in it is the big guardian drones which are basically gigantic versions of the little spindle drones that were in the original blackstone fortress set yeah i think it's going to be neat to see how they wrap the story up because they've kind of been hinting that there's like big like narrative story arc like for this so like i'm interested to see like what they end up how they end up resolving this and then what they move on to next yeah, I I want to play more Blackstone Fortress to see how the whole campaign unfolds. And I have like I have Ascension and I have or not Ascension. I have Escalation and I have like the Trader Command and the the Amble. I I obviously don't have the Zote set yet. Uh but uh I, yeah, I want to play more of it and see how how the story unfolds. So I'm curious to see how this all will shake out and and like the new gigantic drones are pretty impressive um we'll skip the war cry stuff and the new elf caster who does not have a cow head anywhere on the model just for you kevin yeah (laughs) um and okay so for horse heresy we get a uh model for saul tarvitz the loyalist emperor's children character who is actually a really cool character if you've read the uh the horse hairs like this, like especially the first couple of horse heresy novels. Yeah, it, it looks like a good model. Yeah, and again, you can kind of see how the the painting team, you know, the, it's like the heavy heavy metal painting team is working on these more than like the forge world painting team because it's painted up much more like like a forty k model would be. But it looks really nice, very good detail. And then we get to the the big 40k announcement from this one, and that was more information on Psychic Awakening Pariah. So we've already seen a couple of characters from that with the Harlequin and Ephrael Stern, the sister of battle. And now we find we get two new characters, and we do get confirmation that this one is the one that's going to feature the Necrons, because we get a new model for Illuminor Zerus. Yeah, that model's pretty cool looking. That model is awesome. It's the first time in plastic that we get to see exactly what a Goss Flayer does to somebody. And it's not <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty. <laughs> but no, that that Illuminor Zerus model is huge from the look of it, like for a character. Yeah. Now, this is this is like I really liked the previous fine cast Zerus model they had because like I like the otherworldly like kind of like spiderness of it where it's like it's not humanoid and i think this one just takes it to a whole new level this this one's just amazing mm-hmm. and uh he's got that little piece of blackstone on his shoulder which now causes if anyone if there are any psychers within nine inches of him they suffer perils of the warp on any doubles rather than double one or double six like it <laughs> But yeah, apparently, his, like the storyline that they they hinted at is that Zerus is trying to figure out what makes people psychers, and so he's like catching psychers and melting them down and ex- you know examining their essence. And then, meanwhile, we also get the Inquisitor uh, Inquisitor Curia Draxus, who is featured in the very first. Uh, psychic awakening video and we now get to see her model and she is definite definitely a uh a radical inquisitor of the ordo xenos uh <laughs> she's you know rocking a very different mark of power armor you know kind of an, an what seems like an older or more arcane mark of power armor 
Uh, she's using a shuriken rifle, but one that has all the appropriate purity seals, so you know it's all good. And uh, she's got a power fist. She has a little wyvern-like familiar. We don't know really anything about her rules, but it's definitely nice to see a new Inquisitor and one who has a, a very different look than any that we've seen before, which, again, just kind of drives home that idea that Inquisitors are very individualistic. So mm-hmm. I like yeah. it. Uh, so we, again, we don't know a whole lot about what's going on with this, although like the video they had showed like sisters and Marines and, and the Inquisitor and Ephrael Stern and the, uh, the Harlequin all kind of walking up towards a, uh, a Necron fortress of some sort. So it's, it's kind of like hinting and, and the video kept hinting that this is like the last, some sort of last stand of some, you know, mm-hmm. so again, we don't know. And given that psychic awakening books never resolve anything, I, I don't know how, but being that this could be the last one, I also, I don't know if this one might be a, maybe a little bit larger and tie up some of the storyline threads that have been dropped here and there. And granted, this book is also like three books away because we still have. Right. We still have Engine War, War of the Spider, and then Pariah. So we've got, yeah, this book won't be out until like June or July at the earliest. So, and we don't know what kind of like delays all the the pauses in production are going to have for this. But obviously, like, I imagine a good number of these models are already produced. They're just got to figure out where to put them into the the sales schedule. But, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then... A couple other things. First off, uh, another preview just with a couple of still frames and like character profiles of a couple of sisters from another episode of Hammer and Bolter from the second episode of Hammer and Bolter. So, uh, we're getting again, just kind of showing like the first, first episode is going to be all about that Calidus assassin and other assassins. This one's going to be about a pair of sisters. So I'm just kind of giving you a different hint of the animation style. And of course we know different different episodes will have different animation styles so kind of cool to see that and then finally a couple you know the the special edition lieutenant is now sold out that made for order period is over but instead they've added two new ones um one is sister teriana palos who is based off the cover of the previous sisters of battle kind of digital codex and then we have lexicanum veris terminator librarian uh, again, these pair, these are a pair of made to order plastic models that will be out eventually. But, uh, so yeah, Lexicon and Vero, spa- classic Space Marine Terminator librarian, perfect for use in any chapter, including Death Watch and Grey Knights. So you can use, you can basically style him up however you'd like. And then, uh, Sister Palos, you know, Sister Teriana looks, looks pretty good. A n- nice kind of action pose to go in nicely with, you know, same, same design as all the new sisters. So I did go ahead and order her. Yeah, I did too. Like that model is just really cool looking. Yeah. So I mean, I mean like it's really this... cool to see the artwork translated into plastic. Like that's really cool. Yeah. Like all the special edition sisters models that they've put out, like, you know, they've been put out like two or three and they're, you know, where they've been like either recreating artwork or trying to do something very new. It's like, these have all been really cool. So definitely looking forward to getting this one whenever it ships. And yeah, and so then they just finish up by saying, and so this Warhammer preview comes to an end. Don't be sad. There's more to come. Well, they'll have you more to show us. It just won't be until like May. Yeah, that is some cool stuff. Like I'm excited to see what they do with Pariah because, 
if it's going to be just one Inquisitor or if they're actually going to do like a full Inquisition, uh, you know, update for the I, uh, I have a feeling the cool. they're going to they're going to do for the Inquisition what they did for Inari, where it was originally in White Dwarf and then they'll put it in a book. You know, so you've got one, you know, so especially if you're going to put the rules for an Ordo Xenos uh, Inquisitor in there, you'll want to make sure you have the rules for all the Ordo Xenos stuff. So it makes sense that they're going to put that yeah. in in there. So, yeah, I'm curious and I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what Necrons are going to get and if they're going to get more of this kind of like anti-psyker element, if we're actually going to see a return of Necron pariahs in some form or, you know. Uh- yeah, that would be interesting to to see. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if they made pariahs like maybe just a stratagem upgrade for like one of the other units like the like the lich guard or something yeah well and that would actually make them kind of consistent like yeah you know because that's what lich guard kind of took the place of when they right. updated them so yeah no i could totally see that yeah as, as rather than having a new model line just like here's a strat you can spend to make your units basically psychic nulls which would be actually very interesting te- tactically yeah also, I like there's a little note that they had on uh, uh, Saul Tarvitz. You know, they said Saul Tarvitz was one of the first ever named Horus Heresy Space Marines, along with Garrow and Varen in 1988 Space Marine rulebook for the like the epic scale Space Marine game. Because that's like that's the game that actually originated the Horus Heresy background. And his appearances in Black Lord Library's Horus Heresy novels only cemented his popularity. His death, asterisk, asterisk. At Isvan 3 after he led anyway, so you go to, so his death, Asterisk Asterisk, you go to the footnotes. That footnote is, but did he really die? Three asterisks. The three asterisk footnote is yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> I like I just kinda like tease it now. No, he 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 did. I tell you he did. So I say you he did. <laughs> so but yeah, so that's that's the uh, the most recent preview. So they're 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 giving us these tantalizing bits and a few like really kick ass looking new models to kind of salivate over until things can start being released. And then uh, so while that was all the preview, that's not the only thing that has been announced. There was one other thing that really caught my attention, and I am all on board for it. And that is Warhammer 40k Risk. We've had 40K Monopoly, which seems just kind of like a weird, like, hey, let's take Monopoly and stick 40K names on it. 40K Risk, okay. 40K Risk, on the other hand, seems like a really good fit. Yeah, I'm just excited that there's a, like, a, looks like there's a balanced map where you can't, you know, you can actually, like, the game will actually be more balanced for Risk, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid real world messing up my board game. <laughs> and there's going to be... Uh, five factions you can play looks like actually what it is is it's warhammer risk set on vigilus okay that sounds interesting i was thinking it'd be a galaxy map no no it's it's the vigilus map oh that's cool i didn't think i really yeah i'm looking at the expanded graphic on a page called theop.games and uh the there are five factions the five factions are ultramarines led by marnius calgar Chaos Forces led by Abaddon the Despoiler, Eldar led by Autark, just an Autark. <laughs> uh, orcs so led by just Autark. Orcs led by Warboss. 
and gene stealer cultists led by mages. And each color has their own uh, particular models, like, you know, so like for your, your one and five, you know, troop models, the Space Marine ones are a Space Marine and a Land Raider. The uh, the Chaos ones look like a you know, either Chaos Space Marine or a Cult, probably Chaos Space Marine and a Helldrake. The uh, Eldar are a looks like a Guardian and a Wave Serpent. War Boss is a boy and a truck or maybe a battle wagon. And then the uh, Gene Stealer cultists are look like like neophyte hybrids and or. Actually, acoly- the not the neophytes, the other hybrids, acolyte hybrids, and uh, like a Goliath rock grinder. But apparently, That's like cool. each faction is going to have its slightly different, um, a slightly different ability. I, I like, but don't like that. I mean, I like it because it provides a variety and a flavor for the group. But then, in a game balance standpoint, it's kind of nice when you don't have special abilities. You, each faction plays the same. It, it makes me wonder if it's going to be more like risk legacy than just a traditional risk game. Because I think that if it was more like risk legacy where like the game changes and you have special abilities, things like that, I think that actually could be really, really cool. Okay. That does make sense, Kev. So I don't know. I'm excited. I think it'll be neat. And yeah, close up of the map. It is absolutely the vigilist map with all the vigilists, like the Otec hive spire, hive sprawl, the orc scrap cities, Dontoria, Storval, Megaborealis, Hyperia, and Calyx Bane and Dirkton. I mean, it's it's all of that. So, and it also looks like there are objective cards in the game. Hmm. Not exactly sure how those will play out. Now, somebody asked on uh, when when I shared this on the Facebook page, somebody asked why not just play 40k. And uh, there's two reasons for that. One is because sometimes you just want to play kind of like a big map board game rather than like an individual battle. And now I'm like a few years ago, one of my, one of the companies I worked at, we did like a big risk game and it it was classic risk. And I actually ended up randomly getting assigned England as one of my starting territories. So I went ahead and named my faction, Holy Terra. And by the emperor's might, I conquered the globe. So, you know, I brought it home for, brought it home from the emperor but uh sometimes it can just be like we played it over the course of like a week just we had the table out there you know like set up with all the pieces and we just like like over lunch we would just play risk and then like that was our moves for the week and then like say announce like where we're going to move into and stuff and so like sometimes it's just fun to play that style of game and if this has a few other elements that makes risk a little less uh you know may possibly balance it a little bit more and it also looks like all the territories are connected, so mm-hmm. there's no, like, Australia you can sit in and just build up and build up. Yep. Like, everybody can get to everywhere else. But you still do get bonuses for, like, controlling entire, you know, sprawl continents. The other, But the other thing I was thinking of is this set, like, okay, sure, you could play it as Risk, and that is totally fine. You could also use this as a campaign map. Like if you wanted to do a, a, a like a map control campaign, you could like even if it's just like you and one other player, maybe seed the map with a whole bunch of like you know ran, like neutral territories, and you kind of like play through the 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 game like maybe set up like neutral troops that never attack but always are there for defense, and you like you play through and try to grind your way to, and then when you actually meet 
instead of rolling dice, then like, okay, so now we're going to play a game of 40k. And I could, I think that could be a fun way to use this as well. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Like, well, like I said, whereas with uh, like Monopoly, 40k Monopoly, it's like, okay, yeah, it's Monopoly, but with like 40k trappings on it. This I'm actually very interested in playing. So I'm definitely going to try to pick this one up. Let's see. Yeah. What's included? One custom game board, 225 faction unit tokens, five leader tokens, five dice, 40 territory cards, 20 objective cards, 16 reward cards, and then the rules. So I'm curious. I'm really curious to see how this game is going to play differently than normal risk. I mean, I imagine combat resolution is going to be done the same way that risk is, but it's always curious to see what is uh, what the changes have, you know, like due to the game balance. So yeah, I'm, it's funny that I'm like more stoked about the. I mean, I'm stoked about some of the <laughs> stuff from the main review, but I'm like, this is actually like kind of really immediately cool to me. Well, so. it's different, and I think that's what caught your eye. Yeah, yeah, but it also it's it's different, but it also seems to mix well with like the 40k ip in a way that like other board games i'm also waiting for 40k guess who i, I was thinking 40k scrabble but yeah i guess 40, who works. 40 yeah how many heads does he have are you a xenos <laughs> are you a heretic <laughs> <laughs> no the answer to are you a heretic might always be yes we're not sure well, yeah <laughs> yeah you it's like a it's like a hidden role game with guess who mixed in it's like if you're oh, do, <laughs> guess do, who the inquisitor do you have do you have a deep dark secret <laughs> the answer is always yes ah <laughs> uh. uh. so anyway moving on uh so let's uh let's jump from here into listener mail um as always these letters are written by you the listeners and also i want to give a shout out to all our listeners for filling up the hopper as soon as we told mentioned that it was empty. Uh, everybody jumps in and, and gets their questions out there. So you all are awesome. But yes, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And at the end of the segment, we'll tell you how you can get uh, your letter read on the air. So uh, first off, we're going to start with Jack Creed. And Jack Creed wrote a very simple one. And his is, how can I win with Death Guard? And uh, Death Guard's an army that... It's got a couple of things definitely working for it, and it's got a couple of things working kind of against it. Um, what's working for it is that it is an army that can put out a ridiculous number of mortal wounds. And it's also a very resilient army. Obviously, you've got, you know, most things in the army have toughness five or better. A uh, lot of things in the army, and really the only things you're ever going to take, are going to be uh, things that have disgustingly resilient so you are you have the potential to slough off a lot of wounds or, or just ignore them outright. Most things you have also have a lot of the things have invulnerable saves. So they're like I remember the game, Kevin, you played against Nathan at LVO a couple of years ago mm -hmm. against his Tyranids. And you had units that just would not die at all. Yeah, I mean. Death Guard's biggest key is its resilience. The problem is that it's it doesn't have a lot of firepower, so you have to be you have to be smart with how you choose like some of those units for firepower. Um, I think Plague Burst Crawlers are a must take. Absolutely, I think 
demon prince is your must take because you need even though you're giving up kind of the the some of the re, you know reroll stuff for not having like captain or, or uh what do they call lord of contagion i think demon princes are necessary because you need to have something that's mobility and the melee ability so i don't know it, it's death guard feels like it's uh a very kind of defensive army and and that's not always oh well and with demon princes demon princes you don't give up rerolls you have you still oh, yeah you do you reroll hit rolls of one for death guard and nurgle demons with the demon princes oh, okay. lords of contagion they basically just cause mortal wounds if somebody's oh, within seven right. inches of them or or all no all death guard units within seven inches of them can cause mortal wounds on a four up to any enemy units that are within an inch of the, it's very convoluted. Lords of contagion don't do a lot for the army. Unfortunately, yeah. okay. but no demon yeah, princes you're... are fantastic. Yeah. It's, I don't know. The problem that I have with it is that the, the army hasn't really had a lot added to it recently. And I mean, they're getting stuff for, uh, War of the Spider eventually, so maybe that'll update some of their some of their things. But they just, I don't know they they feel like they're kind of a one trick pony unless you decide to go for like the blight grenade bomb and kind of do some of those weird tricks with it. Otherwise, it just feels like you're you're that slowly advancing army that's just kind of sloughing off wounds and you're going to win through attrition, and that's. Not always the most fun, most dynamic way to play. Mm-hmm. And one other issue that it has is the army has a lot of units that are brought over from the Chaos Space Marine Codex. The problem is a lot of those do not have Disgustingly Resilient, which is an odd design choice. And I'm, it's one of those things where I'm hoping that gets addressed in War of the Spider because it makes some of those just non-choices. Like, Nobody takes a Chaos Lord. Nobody takes a generic sorcerer. Nobody's taking Defilers or Land Raiders or Predators. Or You do see Rhinos taken, but Rhinos have a self-repair, so they kind of still fit. And Rhinos are also one of the few ways you can get your like Plague Marines up the board. Yeah. Um, I, there's a really good article on Goonhammer. I'll link that in the show notes uh, on being competitive with Death Guard. And again... Um, Plague Burst Crawlers are recommended, um, Demon Princes, a uh, unit that's really good is the um, the Foul Blight Spawn, because he has a ridiculously good weapon. Because mm-hmm. it's a it's a 9-inch auto-hitting Assault D6 Flamer that is AP minus 3, 3 damage, and its strength is 2D6, which means on average that strength is going to be 7. It will just absolutely, it's one of those things that will absolutely wreck, uh, even elite, you know, like high, high wound elite units that come at you. Uh, you see a lot of builds where the plague Marines have, uh, dual, uh, plasma gun, or actually it's dual blight launchers and then a plasma gun on the champ or possibly a three plasma gun unit. They're one of the few armies that can put three special weapons in a five man unit. And so you'll mm-hmm. see that used a lot. Uh, you do occasionally see poxwalkers um, basically used as as big stupid screens, and poxwalkers, if they catch up to you, will you know they can actually do some effective damage if they are properly buffed, which will often mean like running typhus because he makes them noticeably better. But uh, it you don't have a 
a lot of options for speed. Uh, one of the few choices you will have is the fetid bloat drone, which is your like flying little demon engine, which can also be very effective. Uh, those are good. I think my fetid blight haulers are pretty decent because they're basically, I, I'd really say my fetid blight haulers are your equivalent to a dreadnought. You have dreadnoughts mm-hmm. or hellbrutes in here, but nobody takes them because again, they don't have any of the benefits that the rest of the army has. But my fitting blight haulers have missile launchers and multi meltas and melee weapons, and uh, they also make units harder to hit, or they give cover to any death guard infantry within seven inches of them. If you have a unit of three, they they hit on threes instead of fours. They have five up invuln. They don't suffer penalties for moving firing, so you can always be moving them forward. They move ten and they don't degrade because they have eight wounds instead of ten. So I really like my fetid blight haulers. I like fetid bloat drones. I and so yeah, it's like you're kind of limited. You do have access to Mortarian, who can be quite effective, but he's also a bullet sponge. He mm-hmm. he will be an immediate target if anybody's got heavy weapons, which they usually will. Mortarian, Mortarian's one of those units. He either dies like the first two, one or two turns, or he gets into an enemy unit and will just destroy it. Yeah, he's almost always either the MVP or the first thing dead. Yeah. And despite uh, how resilient he is, you know, T7, 18 wounds, uh, three up. Uh, let's see, he's got three up, four up, and disgustingly resilient. He'll still die very, because yeah, that will only protect you so far. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that this is this is the one army where I think Terminators really shine and really kind of play the way that they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the they've got cataphracty terminator armor, so they're you know two up, four up, and the the feel no pain, and just the tough five. Like terminators really do play like nails in this army, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of people have have kind of written terminators off. Um, and I think you can catch some people off guard with them by kind of surprising and deep striking them uh, in this army, and that's a it's also a really good strategy. Yeah. The downside is they are slow, but that's what Teleport Strike is there for. Yep. So, yeah, Blight Lord Terminators especially. Uh, Death Shroud aren't bad if you're trying to protect a character, especially Mortarian. But uh, Blight Lord Terminators, yeah, are actually a, a pretty decent choice in this. And they they can absorb a lot of punishment, too. Because mm-hmm. you've got five of them in the unit, two wounds each. Uh, yeah, T5, two up, four up, disgustingly resilient. Yeah, they'll... And they'll put out a decent hurt on things if the, if they catch up. That's the downside is they got to get there, right? And that then that's the downside with a lot of this army is like your army can actually put a decent decent bit of pain, but this is very much a mid range army except for the pl- plague burst crawlers, which you need to have three of if you're playing competitively. You absolutely have to have three. And if you can put something near them that gives them re rolls, such as like a demon prince or uh, something like that, you definitely want to. Uh, but again, this could all this could all change up. What's good could all change up in a couple of months because once War of the Spider comes out and we get rules for the seven different plague cohorts, that what is good in this army and what units get updated could completely change this up. So mm-hmm. take this with like, especially because there's no competitive play really going on right now. 
Um, these, this is where it is right now, but by the time we're actually looking at getting like tournaments going again, it could be a completely different ball game. So just, you know, caveat emptor on that one. All right. Next up, a letter from Dan Shoemaker and Dan writes, uh, for someone who has never really played more than beer and pretzels garage hammer, what are some etiquette do's and don'ts for attending your first GT or major? Are there any unspoken rules like in baseball to be aware of? So I guess the big thing is, you know, that I would recommend is a have a good attitude, have fun. If it's the first GT you go to, you're probably going to get pantsed. So enjoy yourself at least, you know, have a good attitude, know your rules and don't be afraid to ask questions because you're going to run into things that you don't normally play. And uh, the biggest thing that I've seen from people that have problems at these events is I've never played this army before. I don't know what it does. I don't ask questions before the match starts. And then you get in the middle of the fourth round and then there's an issue comes up. Oh, I didn't realize it could do that. That's when a judge gets called over and you have an issue comes up. So just ask the questions in advance and find all the, you know, find as much information as you can up front. Yeah. And don't be afraid to call a judge over if something seems fishy, because it's one thing to keep in mind about tournament play is most people are awesome. Occasionally there won't, you'll run into somebody who isn't. And don't be afraid to to call of a judge over if something seems fishy. Try to work it out with your opponent first. Try to make sure you're clear on that. But yeah, don't be afraid to call a judge. I guess the one that I'll toss out to is, is kind of sense, kind of common sense, but I figured we should be spoken is don't touch your enemy's models or dice without permission. When you're playing with your friends, you guys kind of have like you know each other. You've got unwritten rules between yourself. Like oh, I like I can touch models. I can touch Rob's models and I don't feel bad about it. And I don't think Rob, I think Rob trusts me. I do. But when you're playing against someone you don't know, it's just, just be on the, the safe side. You can ask if, or sometimes you'll, I'll play against opponent and they'll ask me to move their model for them. Then I do, but I don't touch their models or their dice. They just kind of leave that because some people are very particular about it. Well, and also some events have that as actually part of the code of conduct too. Like, you are not allowed to touch your opponent's models without explicit permission. And one of the reasons for that is somebody, you know, either there's the person who gets angry and throws a model, or there's the person who nudges their opponent's models to be closer for a charge or out of, you know, nudges them into line of sight. So again, people can be jerks sometimes. So that's just, it's a, it's a common courtesy and it's a way to protect against that kind of behavior. I'd say something else is remember that tournament rounds are timed and often a clock, like you might have a chess clock on the table. Take that into account. Try to play somewhat quickly. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean rush through your turns. Uh, Usually rounds are about three hours and that should be enough time. But try to play with a sense of purpose. Uh, You know, like maybe before you go to a GT, practice how quickly it takes you to deploy try not to spend a lot of time on your turn thinking about what you're going to do. Do your thinking about what you're going to do on your opponent's turn, because that will help keep, keep the pace of gameplay up. And you can't, if you don't, you can be accused of slow playing, you know, because you might be trying to run out the clock. Although with the chess clock, all you're really running out is your time, because once you run out of time on your side of the chess clock, you can't do anything else other than let your opponent beat on you. Uh, so, you know, kind of play with, play with purpose, but that doesn't mean the game has to be like head down, 
just really intense. There are plenty of tournament games where there's banter, where people laugh, have fun. Um, just, uh, just keep in mind though that you are playing at a tournament, which means people are playing for a prize. People are playing for whether it's for a prize or to get their points up for the ITC. Um, which also I'd like, as a quick aside, I'd like to bring up the fact that uh, because this year's season is going to be completely thrown out of whack due to events being canceled, rescheduled, etc., due to COVID-19, um, I want to give a shout out to the ITC because they've basically said the prize, because having whoever wins this year is going to have a huge asterisk next to their name because this is not normal. Uh, they're going to uh, donate the prize money to a charity of the winner of the, of like the ITC winner's choice, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I'll toss out another one. That's not etiquette as much, but it's something to be aware of when you're at your first GT or major is drink water. Yes. Oh my gosh. Cause there's so many people you're on your feet for eight, nine, 12 hours, depending on how many rounds you will get worn out and your body gets dehydrated. And when it's dehydrated, you make bad decisions. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, know that you like your third round of the day is not you're not going to be nearly as peppy as you were your first round. Um you'll be you'll be tired, you might be a bit dehydrated. Make sure to eat. Uh you know, take lunch, you know, when if they offer a lunch break or a snack break, take it. Um sometimes I bring a little bit of extra like a like a granola bar or something that I keep in my my army bag just so that I have something to snack on between rounds. Yeah, just uh, comfortable shoes are a plus because as Dennis said, you will be on your feet. You'll be on your feet for the average GT does like three rounds each day, uh, maybe three and two, but you know, three rounds, definitely the first day you're going to be on your feet for at least nine hours. So keep that in mind. Um, and uh, the only other thing I would say is just, you know, go to have fun. You know, as Kevin said, you're you're likely to get pantsed, especially if you get thrown into the pool against a high end tournament player. You may very well get completely owned on your first game. Don't be disheartened. You know, you're you're in the pool with the sharks. That's you know, you're going to get bit. But, you know, do your best and, and try to, like, look at each game afterwards of, well, OK, so what could I have done differently? What worked? What didn't? Um, cause that can adjust your strategy for the next game or you can mm-hmm. kind of take notes and figure out, okay, so where, where do I need to go with this army? Like what units worked and didn't, uh, what would be better choices? You know, like figure out, like sometimes it's just like what you may realize you lost the game at deployment. I've had that happen to me where it's like, oh yeah, I deployed really badly this time and that's why I lost the game. Next time this I get in a situ- similar situation, I won't do that again. So that's that's how you you know tournament play has the benefit of you're playing high end games multiple times against multiple different armies. It will really put your army through the ringer and help you figure out how to improve it. So just remember to take those notes and to take it gracefully. Don't get mad. Just get better for next time. And remember that unless it's an event where they've got like a dedicated friendly and a dedicated competitive, uh, you're going to have a lot of players in the pool who are there for the same reason you are. Maybe this is their first tournament or it's their the best way they can to get like six games in in a weekend. So like especially if you shake out in like the lower half of the of the pack. You'll you know, you'll end up playing against players who are there much more like you and 
you'll be fine. Now, if you're going to be compet, going specifically to try to be competitive, then be ready to, you know, play to win. Be cool about it. Don't be a dick, but play to win and just take your lumps, get your wins as you can and just do your best and have a good time. And that's the most important part is just have a good time. All right, next up from Trey Swanson. Trey writes, an empty question hopper. Well, we can't have that. I'll throw a hobby question at you then. I'm building up a Dark Mechanicus Force based model, basing models off the Admech and Imperial Knights for ease. But what are other kits you can imagine, or what other kits do you imagine would be good? Also, what colors do you think might be unique? Also, also, what about using a Warpsmith as a Dominus? Um, for that last one, absolutely use a Warpsmith as a Tech Priest Dominus. Go for it. Mm-hmm. As long as long as it's equipped properly, I think that's a, that'd be a fine convert. Like you might you might convert a couple of bits on it just to kind of differentiate it from a, a warp smith, but they're pretty close, so I think it would work pretty well. Yeah, I think you do like a head swap or something on that, and I think it'd be pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely a lot of admech kits. You know, Skatari kits. You know, can be combined with other infantry kits to add things to it to make it look more you know chaosy you know I, I think there's a lot of i think there's a lot there within within that range you could look at um in blackstone there are the uh oh gosh what are they called negavolt priests mm-hmm. um which are just straight up dark mechanicus models um so those are you know those can be used you know can be used as is they can be kind of cut up and you know used to to graft onto other models to make you know, to make more chaosy looky, uh, Arcoflagellants uh, is a good kit as well to get um, if you're wanting to add tentacles and things to to, to infantry models. Um, I think that's another one that would be really interesting to use. I'm looking. I just did a quick search on uh, Google Images for uh, 40k Dark Mechanicus conversions, and I'm seeing some really interesting ones. Uh, here's one where somebody has used some of the Night Gaunt models from Age of Sigmar to convert into uh, Dark Mechanicus Rest Stalkers. So they're like using the 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 shrouds and robes from them, but then giving them like the like the macro stubber arms and and cord claws. Hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Neat. Or a uh, somebody using some of the the body shells from those fetid bloat drones we were talking about on the uh, when we were talking about Death Guard as the like the main cowling on the front of uh, like the uh, dragoons. To kind of give them this weird okay. mutated look, um, yeah, I would definitely look at uh, like look at Age of Sigmar for some uh, kits that you might use. Um, other things I thought Cador uh, cultists from uh, Necromunda or Delac cultists could easily be modified into some interesting looking Skatari or Rangers. Mm-hmm. It, it just really depends on like. Are you wanting just to be kind of chaosed out, or do you have a particular uh, theme in mind, like Nurgle Dark Mechanicus, or uh, you know something like that? There's there's a lot of places you can go. A Necron model, like Necron bits, like Wraith bits, and things like that, you could mix in. Um, yeah, there's a lot of lot of places you can go with Dark Mechanicus. Um, yeah, here's here's another some, somebody who's like taken the dragoons, but then mixed in uh, looks like some dragoons, possibly some like knight like uh, armager bits, and then some uh, again knight haunt those knight haunt robes I'm seeing over and over again. Mm. 
So definitely some some ideas there to go with. I also think there's some interesting, and I'm, I'm trying to pull it up on the website now, but in the uh, on Forge World, there's some mechanic and models that they have that could easily be kind of modified up to do interesting things with. Um, like there's the, oh, and I'm going to say this wrong, the, the Mechanicum Voltrax uh, Autonoma, which is basically like the, the Forge World, like Blight Drone before, like it became all chaosy. Yeah. Stuff like that could easily be used as kind of a base to, you know, to modify and convert up afterwards. And then there's the one, they have that one, yeah, the Archmagos, who's like riding the big pulpit and he's got like the axe and then he's got like the the interesting like skull head and stuff like that and the the wires coming off that that's a cool model as well so there's definitely a lot of options uh at, at a bunch of different ranges yeah you. yeah forge world would definitely be a place to look at some of the uh the models they had there and they actually have like i don't think they have 40k rules for him at all but there is a model an Anacarus scoria who is a straight up dark Majos. Yes. Yeah. And he's, but he's also not really something you could run as anything else. Cause he's like on an 80 millimeter base <laughs> and he's huge. Like you could almost use him as an alternate, like, uh, or disco Lord, uh, Lord discordant. Yeah. But I wouldn't actually, I don't think I would actually use him as a, in, there's just no unit that he would fit as in Mechanicus. But if he ever gets <laughs> 40k rules when, uh, when I the mean, Forge World book get get Forge World books get uh, ported over. Honestly, there is one model I think that he could be a really cool stand-in for. Uh, if you're doing Belisarius Call, I think oh, there really you go, cool. there you go, yeah. yeah, yeah. As a dark dark Mechanicus Belisarius Call, he would actually work really well. But yeah, um, so there's a lot of cool options. Uh, yeah, like there's Facebook conversion pages that like I that I follow, um, and there's a lot of cool people that are you know doing cool conversions for this. So. There's a lot of inspiration out there. You know, check out those groups, do a Google search, look at what, you know, what's on the Forge World site, look at what you can convert. If you want to use, like Rob was saying earlier, if you want to go specific God uh, heavy, look at the Age of Sigmar stuff because they are some of the best, like, chaos troops just that they're making right now. Um, so a lot of those can be used in, as bases and converted up and added and made, made more mechanic and <laughs> yeah and then like just for the what colors do you think might be unique the, i mean most mechanica stuff tends to lean towards like reds and oranges or even cream colors uh you might go towards darker colors mm -hmm. like a like dingy bluish black or purple or green you know again just kind of do like off colors you know, th things that you think would be, you know, counter to standard Mechanicus. Or, you know, you could do, you can also do like, hey, maybe do cream color, but then I'm going to dingy up the robes and maybe splat, you know, spatter them with blood or something like that. You know, there's, you know, just figure out something to make your, your Mechanicus army stand out. But especially, it just depends, again, like, are you going with like conversion bits that are going to be like really robe heady, heavy? Then, yeah, maybe you do figure out how to use like those dark robe colors or, or something like that just to make your army not look like a standard Mechanicus army. But, you know, there's millions of colors out there to choose from. So, you know, that's, 
that's uh, up to your taste. I would just say of if you want them to be unique, avoid the standard reds and oranges. Next up, a question from Harrison Webb. Harrison writes, Hey, preferred enemies, greetings from the UK. I hope you're all safe during the pandemic. I've been working overtime as one of the key healthcare workers training nurses and medical equipment as adding my hands to the warehouse to make sure supplies get shipped to the hospitals across the UK and Ireland. So sadly, less time for hobby than I'd like. But the moments I do have for hobby time have been a welcome decompression from the chaos. I bet. And, you know, uh, salute to you, Harrison, for basically working on the front lines of this. Uh, or at least yeah, you know, helping make sure the people on the front lines have everything they need. My question is regarding Games Workshop's announcement about reworking all of their Forge World units in an eventual new book at some point. I play Minotaur's Space Marines, so I'd be curious to see if they plan to flesh out the Badab War chapters or not, and whether we'll see an expansion of what they currently have with unique chapter tactics and stratagems, or will we just see everything that doesn't have a model thrown into Legends and everything that does have a model have a points tweak and be done with it? Thanks for keeping the podcast going and keeping us all sane and entertained in these mad times. Warm regards, and wash your hands. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I I don't uh, I imagine some stuff is going to get tossed in legends. I I do imagine yeah. that any any models that they don't produce anymore, which there are definitely some, like especially as some of the characters and such, I could definitely see those getting retired into legends. Just the same way yeah. they have in in standard 40k. Will they flesh out all their their chapter like all the Badab War stuff, all the because like obviously they they're in-house chapters the red scorpions and then they you know you've got all the kind of the like some of those chapters like the lamenters for example i imagine they'll just put down as like their blood angels successor so they're going to play like blood angels you know uh, there's a lot of a lot of armies that i don't think will necessarily get custom chapter tactics it'll be curious to see what they do with things like minotaurs where they've they've kind of fleshed out some of the characters and have created conversion bits for them but we don't know exactly. Same with Carcharodons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think my hope is that they are going to flesh those out. Like that would be the whole point of of rolling this in is that you could then go through and give full, consistent rules updates to these unique chapters that only exist in the pages of Forge World, um, and you know other other uh you know forces as well so like for example i don't expect death core of krieg to just get rolled into the same regimental trap you know tactics that other uh other imperial guard units have i expect they'll get something completely unique uh to their play style so my hope is that at least for the big ones like minotaurs death core things like that that yeah they will get their own things um and they'll they'll kind of set in parallel with the stuff that's in the core codexes uh, with, with the same design aesthetic and all the same detail. Um, or at least that's, that's my hope. Yeah. And I, I don't imagine you're going to see each one fleshed out quite to the level that we've seen, like the founding chapters fleshed out. So mm-hmm. don't expect like four pages of stratagems for minotaurs, but I could see one or two. You know, I, they'll probably, you know, they'll give them, they'll basically give them the same treatment where it's like, okay, they've got Primera stuff. They've got access to all the, all the standard Space Marine. And they'll basically say like, this uses Space Marine Codex 2.0. Um, whether they'll give them their own chapter tactic or say, hey, this, this is a, they might tell you like which chapters their successors from, but I think they might also, yeah. 
you know, considering that we've got the build your own chapter tactics in that Space Marine book, they might just say, hey, Minotaurs use this and this. Or Red Scorpions use this and this to have them, you know, even if it's just something as simple as that to allow them to be as consistent with the core books as possible, especially now because it's all one unified rules team. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of flexibility what they can do. So I think that's the exciting part for me is that they they do have a lot of this flexibility and it's an opportunity to make a lot of things more consistent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be more than just a points tweak. I th- I think the units that are actually going to get redone in whatever the form the new indexes, you know, Imperial Armor indexes take, I think they're going to be rules rewrites in many cases. I don't think they're going to be just um, add with the rules. We're fine. We'll just tweak the points cost because in some cases, those rules are not fine, whether mm-hmm. they're way underpowered or way overpowered or badly interact with other things. Um, well, none of the, none of those Forge World Index units have had updates since the indexes. So the the entire game design aesthetic has changed. And I think that definitely needs to be they definitely need to be brought in line with that. And I I know I'm gonna get this before Dennis says it. Uh would they need to get rid of the cutesy point costs on the exalted greater demons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also by like actually you know again bringing them into the core rules team and and saying like okay so let's re-examine this because either these units are way over costed for what they do or they way had underpowered. way underpowered yeah it's like that you know they figure out hopefully they can adjust that hopefully it'll be more than just counts as keeper of secrets counts as bloodthirster hopefully they do give them well, that would be sad yeah hopefully they do give them some special rules and make them especially like the bloodthirster they have is gigantic compared to a normal one so he needs mm-hmm. to be bigger and meaner and on the other hand the great unclean one they have is uh, the same size as the regular great unclean one so i don't think he necessarily needs to be better but <laughs> but yeah i think it's gonna it's gonna be more than a points tweak but i do think and and i i hope that they will kind of flesh out some of those units to better gel with the rest of their army because as you said kevin the design style has changed for this game a lot over the last what three years now yeah uh but uh but it will i think it's going to be more than just point tweaks so i i'm i'm looking forward to what seeing what they do all right next up letter from our friend alex hunt from up in minnesota alex writes long lost drinking buddies of old do you see what quarantine has done to us (laughs) So I have less of a question and more of a comment slash discussion point for you guys and your listeners abroad. With the quarantine in full swing and the likelihood of continuing the social distancing side of things in the future, I'm wanting to bring up an idea to those stuck at home and wanting to do more things with their hobby. While GW comes out with a great painting scheme for their models and paints that assist with the heavy metal style... Trying out new techniques can really stretch and grow skills. Normally, we're all trying to get models off the painting area and onto the table for our next game or tournament... But I would say that this is the perfect opportunity to try out something new, grab a model or a squad, and try out a new paint scheme or palette that you've always wanted to do. Maybe toss in some conversions, or just play around with green stuff for the first time. I myself have been trying out oil paints and modulations. It's been a very different take on how I would normally approach painting, and it's quite a bit more forgiving, so it's been fun to experiment and even mess up. Messing up is when you learn the most. I would encourage people to watch some painting tutorials. 
I would encourage people to watch some painting tutorials or join a group that they might not normally to push their skills to the next level. What would you add or what have you all been doing to stretch your own skills or abilities? Would you have any recommendations for a good tutorial set? I'd like to shout out Grimdark Compendium, fantastic stuff. And how do you see using this time to further your abilities? Hope this was a sane sounding email, licking the brush, it gets to the mind. Your friend and unofficial sixventhish chair, Alex Hunt. <laughs> Um, so as for me, uh, I haven't really been, I don't say I haven't been pushing, uh, painting techniques. I've been like, when I started working on my Necromunda stuff again, I've been trying to, uh, practice my skin tones more that that's kind of, because I paint a lot of stuff that's in some form of armor or other, but skin tones have always been uh, a challenge for me more to get them smooth and not looking either chalky or blocky. Um, so I mean, trying to figure out the right blend of thinning paint and kind of more glazing my colors over rather than painting. And it's, it's tricky. Um, I'm nowhere near getting things as smooth as I'd like them to be. Uh, but, uh, and also just playing with, uh, different styles, like trying to step up my highlighting game, just, you know, cause like, even more than just like edge highlighting and i i'm not somebody who edge highlights everything but i've been trying to just kind of just i think more tighten up existing techniques rather than try new ones yet but it's also i also just have a ton of backlog and some part of me just wants like (laughs) well i'm not getting it done for a tournament i just like i want to get it off my list (laughs) but i will say uh yeah video tutorials are great um that now is a great time to to check some of those out uh, shout out to Duncan Rhodes, who is his own Duncan Rhodes painting school online now. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he just recently did a video about uh, using contrast paints and uh, pointing out a few techniques for using those with like wet blending or using like that, using the mix with the contrast medium to uh, do like really subtle transition effects. Um, that one was really good. And also like pointing out little things that you might not think of, like there's really like, really there's more like three or four different kinds of contrast paints that based on like how dark they are and how well, like how saturated they are with pigment and ways to like keep them properly blended. So just little tips and tricks like that can sometimes go a long way towards your hobby. Yeah. I thought that was a very interesting, uh, video about the contrast paints because, the nice thing about Duncan no longer working for Games Workshop is that he's free to kind of experiment and talk about like these are the paints that I like, these are the how I use them, this things like that. Whereas when he's when he was on the Warhammer TV website, here's the contrast paint, here's how you use it, here's you know the official stance of the company and how to use it. And he's like, with this, it's more of yeah, you could use it this way, but you can also thin it with this and do this. You could also mix it with this and and just kind of experiment and do a lot of those other things that. I wouldn't have thought of necessarily doing. So I, I thought that was really cool. And I, I look forward to seeing more of those types of videos from him, especially because he knows so much about the GW method of painting that he can kind of come in and say like, well, yeah, here's the official way to do it, but here's also some shortcuts. And he's doing a lot more uh, types of models. Obviously he's no longer limited mm-hmm. to GW models. And so he's been painting up like bolt action stuff. He's been painting up stuff for game of Thrones and uh, different armies, different games, different genres have different looks. So 
Um, he's going to paint something from Bolt Action in a very different style than he would paint something from Games Workshop. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, looking at those different styles of paint, looking at something like that's done a bit more realistically might give you a, a different ideas for something like doing, you know, how to make something look interesting with like maybe a more muted color scheme or uh, more emphasis on, on realistic weathering, which you then might uh, bring into your 40K to like make your armies look like not fresh off the off the parade field, but ready for, you know, like or like they've been in battle for a while. So it's like. There's all kinds of different, you know, techniques, and there's a lot of really, uh, really good uh, tutorials out there. Uh, there's some, I want to say it's Midwinter Minis does a lot of, like, speed painting uh, tutorials, mm-hmm. like, especially, like, here's how to speed paint stuff from Blackstone Fortress or speed paint stuff from Necromunda, things like that. Um, but, I mean, the models still look good, but it's, it's looking at how they're approaching painting to try to reduce the number of steps they have to do while still getting a good effect. And so, yeah, now it's like the time you want to try to work through that backlog and get that army painted that you've always wanted to get painted. Or do you want to, uh, work through, um, like trying to make that, like that feature model or just play around with new techniques on like a unit that you might not use anywhere else. There's a lot, lots of, lots of room and lots of range to, to go with that. And, and I think Alex is absolutely right. Now is a, if, if you have been curious about trying a new technique, now is not a bad time. The only tricky part might be getting access to hobby supplies. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen a number of people saying like null oil is like gold now because you can't get any more at the moment. <laughs> Unless you have an independent stockist, but they can't get refills if they sell out. So I've been able to get, a few pots I've been able to order some pots of paint from local stores that are doing like carry out like curbside or uh mailing stuff uh so I've been able to keep my hobby supplies freshed up and fortunately I have like two or three pots of like nolan oil and I'm I just cracked open a new pot of agrax earthshade so I've got all my you know, like painting magic still available but it hopefully sooner rather than later those will start coming back out in stock <laughs> yeah All right, next up, a letter from Darren Gross. Darren writes, Hey guys, I have a couple of questions I would like to ask you guys if you get the time to answer this. Uh, Do you prefer mono-based armies or soup armies on the tabletop? Do you think that there needs to be more bonuses for running a mono army instead of picking out the best units from each codex? I think something like what the Space Marine armies have, where bringing a mono chapter gives you a super doctrine, should be applied to other armies. Your thoughts? Also, how do you make pure Thousand Suns work without allying too much with Zinch Demons? Thanks for the great podcast, you guys. Hope look looking forward to more content. Um, I am all for giving rewards to. Uh, I am all for giving bonuses to running a, a mono build army. I think that was something that we didn't have at the beginning of Eighth Edition. Yeah, I, I will echo that because I think I enjoyed the whole Battle Brothers experiment, and it made sense, and it makes still make sense for like narrative campaigns or just open play. But I think for competitive, I I prefer seeing the mono armies out there, and the only way to I guess see more of them, like it was stated there, is try to actually like get give better bonuses for being that mono faction. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the the there needs to be some incentive to do mono mono faction, um, either either through you know carrot or the stick, either by giving you extra benefits or taking benefits away if you go soup. 
and I and I think if you you know I think that being able to go soup is is fine, although it's it's an inherently imbalanced thing because Xenos armies don't have the ability to to ally in as much. But like the advantage there is the ability to take the better units, you know, the 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 ability to go through and pull out the special units you want to take. But they shouldn't work as well as a cohesive fighting unit is taking in all ultramarine space marine chapter or something like that. So I yeah, I, I definitely want to see more mono armies on the table. Yeah, I and I think one of the issues ha- has been, you know, it's the game, you know, they've always kind of supported it and they're they're in a tough spot because like narratively you want to allow mixed armies because in many cases like that's how their narratives play out. It's like you've got forces from this space marine chapter and this space marine chapter and this division of guard and and this you, you know forge world from, you know, from the mechanicus all like, you know, working together in this battle. And so they want, you know, you have a rule set where they want to support that because it was literally something that you could not do or could not really do effectively in 40k and older editions without going to, uh, you know, apocalypse level. Like, like yeah, they built in allies and that would let you bring one in, but it wasn't, you know, it, it didn't give you really interesting armies the problem is and we've seen this before in the past in in past editions trying to balance narrative need with game balance and there was you know eventually be you know it became very clear to people that's like well i can just cherry pick the best things from different you know and and i think we've gotten a lot better once they instituted the battle brothers rule so that you couldn't just take the best units of each imperium army and just m- mash them together into one super detachment, but I do enjoy, I do prefer seeing mono faction armies, and I think, granted that it, part of that is because that is how, how the game was played for the longest time, and so that's how people are often used to seeing the game, and it's how people identify with the game in many cases. People ha- gravitate towards that one favorite army. And feel kind of put out if that army can't compete without bringing in elements from other armies. And it also gets rid of, like, you know, soup is what gives us things like the Lucky 32, which mm-hmm. was not great for game balance at all. So I don't miss that, you know, being toned down. But I'd, I'd much rather see, rather than punish armies that use multiple factions, I would much rather see building up armies that play mono faction. The downside is you have to be very careful not to over reward or you end up with the situation as like we had with the iron hands. Right. Well, and it's very interesting because part of the problem, you know, remains like, what do you call, you know, specifically like, what do you call mono faction Are chaos space Marines, a mono faction, you know, is it, if you were to take, because I've done this a bunch. If you were to take pure world eaters, you're going to be facing an uphill battle because they literally can't do certain things. So, you know, how do you balance that? Is there a way to balance that? Is Should there be a way to balance that? I, I don't want every army to play exactly the same. I want every army to have its unique ups and downs, its unique strengths and weaknesses. Uh but I would prefer the balance, you know, the game to be balanced in a way that, like I said, ideally that like a, a pure melee army is 
has as many avenues to win games as a pure shooting army and things like that. And unfortunately, it's just the game balance isn't there at this point, and I don't really know how to fix it. Well, also remembering that you are in a space game with guns, so no, and and that's exactly it. Like that's that's the constant struggle. Like I like playing my world eaters because I like running into melee and you know hacking things up. But and I'm not saying that like that should be you know as as equally a valid strategy as shooting everything from over the hill because it's you know in, in war it's not. But at the same time, like from a game perspective, I would like there to be. I would like there to be an avenue of like, well, yeah, if you take an all melee army, here's the ways you can win. You know, and here's here's you're not immediately you may be at a disadvantage, but you're not immediately fighting a complete uphill battle to 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 win this game. And I don't know, it's forty k is a very unique thing because we've got a lot of sub factions and you know factions within the game that just don't do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it makes it inherently hard to balance. Like, how do you fix the fact that Tau and Necrons have no psychic abilities? Maybe they're going to fix that with Pariah for the Necrons, but how do you fix that as Tau? Like, you get pants by psychic armies. And at the, uh, at, you know, <laughs> at the same time, though, that's one of the issues with soup armies is that if you build a, if if you as a designer have constructed an army to be good at three of the four aspects of the game, or maybe really good at two of the aspects of the game. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, world eaters, you're pretty decent on movement. You're very good in melee. You do not have much in the way of shooting and you have absolutely no psychic power. You're good at two of the four, you know, like really solid at two of the four pieces of the game. That's an intentional design choice. Do you, you know, it's like saying that, well, then I can p- plug in those other two holes with, this and that on the one hand yes it gives you a more well-rounded army but on the other hand you or you know it's like how much are you willing to trade army identity for um yeah are are you willing to trade army identity for competitive power Mm -hmm. and and that that's that's a question for every player you know personally and i think what GW needs to do, they've done some of, and I think they need to do a better and more consistent job of it, is they need to make sure that the trade-offs of giving up identity feel like trade-offs. Uh-huh. And I think that's something where Space Marines, I think they're right about, you know, now that they've toned down uh, Iron Hands and they've toned down how the, how combat doctrines work... I think they're about where they need to be with that. I think sisters have, have worked very, I think the, the sacred rights ability and miracle dice work really well for them in that regard to encourage you to play mono faction or you know, even if you're playing different sub factions within that mono faction, you're still playing pretty much mono faction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think armies like chaos space Marines have not gotten that. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of factions that do not have that. It's detachment level, not army level. And that's where the balance problem, I think, tends to fall. Right. And so um, I do think that they could do a better job of applying that. And I'm a bit disappointed that they didn't do that consistently with uh, Psychic Awakening. It was a perfect opportunity to provide that kind of thing. And they didn't. And that's something that I do think needs to be addressed. But I think 
I, I fear that that ship has sailed at this point. And without doing a whole new set of campaign books or codexes or what have you, we won't get those issues addressed. But I, that's where I would ra- I would like to see something where it's like, you are very good at this and that, but you have trade-offs. If you want to be good at those things that you're not good at, you have to give up some of your monofaction abilities. And that's mm-hmm. where that's where where it should be, and that's what you do with monofaction, you know, buffs and rewards. So that that's where I really would like to see them being, uh, but they're not there right now. They're getting there, but they're not there. Yeah. Um, we are already at over an hour of recording for this segment, so uh, we have a couple more in the hopper. We are probably going to let them sit till next episode. So. Uh, we have a couple of letters to to read, but uh, we will get to them next time. Uh, that's how the hopper works. We get through what we can. So if you want to get your letter added to the hopper so we can get to it in the next episode or two, uh, there's three good ways to do that. Uh, first is you can email us. Our email addresses are our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies dot com. Uh, second is our Facebook page. We are facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us, and uh, we post uh, things we're working on, up episode updates, uh, news, new releases, things like that. And then uh, the third way is on Twitter. We are twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. And we take messages from all three of those sources. We put them together, collate the list, throw it into the hopper, and we get through as much as we can in a single episode without going too long. Um, so like I said, there's a couple of letters that'll be queued up for next episode. We'll get to them as they'll be at the top of the list. So, uh, if you didn't hear your letter on this episode, we'll get it. We'll get there next time. Uh, in the meantime, we do also have a Patreon. And while our Patreon is currently active, I continue to encourage people to support uh, any local charities, food banks, etc. in this time, help people out, help people who are currently uh, without work uh, or who need assistance, donate uh, to companies that are working on providing uh personal protective equipment to uh, first responders and healthcare workers right now, because that's where the help can really be used. Uh, uh, and you're not missing out on anything. We don't lock any of our shows behind a paywall. So if you are not currently a uh, Patreon supporter, or if you are a Patreon supporter and want to put that on hold to donate, put that money elsewhere, or if you are in a situation where you're without paycheck, please do not support us. You know, hold on to that, put that money where it could be more, more useful. That said, we did have two new patrons sign up over the last two weeks. <laughs> so despite my calls and otherwise, you guys still decided to come support us. So a shout out to Tim Platten and our last letter writer, Darren Gross, uh, for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you very much. Uh, the, our Patreon payments basically help support our, they cover our, uh, they cover our hosting costs. Uh, they cover uh, costs for new equipment, which we bought that really nice mixing board, and now we can't use it because it's at Dennis's house, and we can't all gather around it. But we do have it. Uh, I think we'll be looking at uh, – Richard, do you need a new microphone? Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay, I think we'll be using some of this money to to buy you like a Blue Yeti or something, so we'll get you hooked up. Uh, but th- that's what your, your Patreon funds uh, help – help support is they help provide us the material and means to keep doing the show. They also provide us for travel costs if, and when we are ever able to travel to a tournament again, uh, which will hopefully be at least in a year, maybe. But, uh, but as I said, last couple episodes, we are good on hosting costs right now. So we appreciate the support, but 
please feel do not please do not feel obligated we are doing okay help put that money in your community if you can all right so we're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification and when we get back it'll be time for our main topic which is looking at starting an army in the time of COVID-19 see you in a bit miniatures we build them we paint them we love them that's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely and that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is how to start a new army, and specifically how to start a new army right now, but I think this will pretty much hold over to starting an army anywhere, and the main difference, I think, between starting one now and starting one in general is that uh, you can't get stuff directly from GW at the at time of recording, mm-hmm. but uh, um, there are plenty of independent stockists who still have some products in stock just understand that some things may be harder to get uh but you know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves there because um starting a new army is something that i don't think you just do by just going out and buying a bunch of stuff are you <laughs> sure you don't. I, I, you, okay you can <laughs> that's the way i started my first two armies and some people here have addictions yes <laughs> I think we all do at this point. You're Um, an addiction. (laughs) That's just what someone with an addiction would say, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Anyway, go on. Sorry. Uh, So, I mean, obviously, the first step to starting a new army, I would say, is figuring out which army you're going to start. And this is not an episode to recommend to you one army or another, where this is not about like, hey, you should play 
X. This isn't just more talking about like the process of creating, you know, of starting a new army. So in the past, you know, people have written into us and have said like, well, what army should I pick? What army would you recommend to a new player? And our answer has always been, what army looks cool to you? What army appeals to you? Mm-hmm. And I would say for most cases, for especially for a brand new player, that is absolutely the right advice. I mean, with the, the small caveat of also we take into account when we did that, how easy the army plays. Because truthfully, as a new player, even if it looks cool and you get pantsed all the time, it starts to take the fun out. Yeah, absolutely. True. Uh, but I, I was also thinking, like, when you are picking a new army, whether you are a brand new player or you are on your third, fourth, fifth, sixth army, we're not judging here. We're all with you. Um, there's the, there's also the the why are you picking this army? And it, is it you picking it because it's an army you've always wanted to do, but you've never had the means to? Maybe it, maybe you were wanting to do a sister's army, but metal was too hard to find or too hard, too expensive. And now you have the opportunity because it's being redone in plastic. Or it could be a matter of you have uh, an army that is maybe like when I was first playing the game and I had an army that was all shooty. And I decide, and you know, with my talent, I'm like, I'm tired of playing all shooty. I want to play something very different. So I decided to go for an all assaulty army. I later sold that army to Kevin because that didn't end up being my vibe, but but it was his. So so it's worked out nicely. Um, but uh, or or are you looking to pick up a new army because you you are wanting to try something new competitively? Like, are you a competitive player? Because that process, I think, would be very different than if you are a casual player. So I would so definitely think of why are like why are you picking up this army? Like, why are why are you wanting to start this particular army? Mm-hmm. And it may also be like, are you? Are you looking at building an army around a like? Is there a particular model you like? So, for example, we were just talking about Death Guard in our first first segment. So maybe you really like Mortarian and you think that model just looks badass, uh, and you want to build an army around that. So you know, knowing like what is the purpose uh, of starting this army? Why are you doing that? I don't, and I don't think there's necessarily a wrong reason to want to start up an army other than I, even though I said, you know, it's like I, I wanted to change up. I would hesitate if it's just a matter of either A, being bored of an army, although that, that can be a valid reason, uh, or B, you want to do something like you're chasing the meta. And and not to not to slag the competitive players out there, but if you are buying a whole army because the army you're playing isn't getting you quite as many ITC points, I I'm not a fan of like changing up armies constantly to chase whatever is currently good. Mm-hmm. That that is a now that is personal preference. Uh, your mileage may vary. Yeah, I I think that. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, I think it's two kind of separate conversations, because if you're a competitive player, a lot of this isn't really going to apply. Because, and, and, and I'm going to venture a little bit into stereotypes here when I say this. If you're a competitive player, you're not as concerned potentially about the hobby part of the of the hobby. You, you're more of 
I want to get this army because I have a really cool competitive idea to run this army at this tournament, or you know, I am chasing the meta and things like that. Whereas I think a more casual player is going to, you know, buy an army and it's going to be a, a, a pretty significant outlay of cash and a, a period of time of painting the army and building it and playing with it and kind of learning it from scratch, which if you're a more competitive player, you're not going to be spending typically, you're not going to be spending the better part of a year building, painting an army. You're going to figure out what you want to do. You're going to get that army as quickly as possible, paint it quickly, commission paint it or something like that. And and then kind of move on to the next topic. So it is a little bit of a different process. If you're, uh, if you're doing this more as a competitive player than somebody who's who's a, a newer to the hobby or somebody who's just doing it because, you know, this army looks cool and I want to play with it. Yeah. And I don't again that I when I say, you know, I'm not a fan of chasing the meta. Like I said, I catch it. That, that is personally personal. That is yeah. that is completely personal preference. Um, I do understand. Obviously, if you are if you are a hardcore competitive player, you are going to look at like what is going to get me the biggest wins. Although there are also plenty of competitive players who like this is my army. I'm going to try to optimize it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So so again, I, it is not this is not necessarily one size fits all conversation. So again, don't want competitive players necessarily feel put out. But most competitive players are also have seen the meta shake out enough to know that, like they're not going to randomly pick up um like us an army that they consider like mid or lower tier if they're trying mm-hmm. to get get the wins and so and also they'll they'll you know they're also going to shop a bit differently than a casual player would as far as like what they're picking up uh, but let's you know whatever your reason whether it's you know the I, I want an army that plays differently than what I have before, or I think this model looks cool, or I just like the aesthetic, or maybe it's like what we have done in our group where, oh, well, that's that's the army that no one in our group plays yet. I will buy that one because it looks interesting and it will fill an interesting hole in our play group. Mm-hmm. These are all perfectly valid reasons. So now the strategy is how do you actually go about building that and there's a couple of ways that you can approach that. Uh, first off, is which it is clippers and glue. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's later on in the process. Once you've actually uh. got the stuff, what I would say, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, you've got your army or you've got your army idea. Like I'm going to buy this faction. I'm going to get an army for this faction. So now you've got a couple of ways you can go about this. One is, I'm going to buy the stuff that looks cool, and then. Or maybe even the extension of that is I'm going to buy all the things and then figure out what I can do with it. Or there's the I'm going to figure out a list to build. I'm like going to figure out like what models do I need to buy to buy a viable to build a viable army. And then I'm going to buy those those specifically. And there's pros and cons to each. The pro of the former of I'm going to buy what looks cool or buy all the things is that you will end up generally buying more than you need, which means you have options. You have a lot of list building options. Mm -hmm. The downside is you are going to end up buying a lot of stuff you might not need or buy stuff that 
it looks cool, but turns out to me not very not great on the tabletop, or to need a lot more support than maybe maybe buying stuff. Maybe you end up having to buy some stuff that doesn't look as cool to make the things that looked cool better. And I know yeah. we've all been guilty of that step. Oh, that's my custodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the longest time, that's actually how I kind of collected my armies. You know, it was okay. I'd like to play. I'd like to play Death Guard, you know, because it's in the starter box. Oh, cool. Okay, they released this new kit. Well, that looks cool. I'll pick it up. Oh, they released this new kit. Well, that looks cool. I'll pick it up. And, you know, uh, uh, over time, you know, I built those up and got them painted. And then I re- so then I look at this like, oh, I don't need half of this because I have a 2,000-point army that's this. And all the rest of this is nice flexibility to have and models that I painted. But they're not they're not things I'm going to consistently use. With my Sisters of Battle this time, I've actually intentionally tried to build to, – to not do that and actually build the army first and then figure out what models I need to buy. Um, you know, and, and I sent Rob, you know, got feedback on a list from him and said, so like, here, here's the list I think I'd like to run. Here's what I need. You know, what what would you change? So I kind of got like that list hammered out in advance before I bought any of the models rather than like going out and buying models and kind of then building a list out of it. Cause more often than not, you're going to find that, Oh, there's something that you want to add to the list that you then have to go buy extra. They have to pull stuff out. They're both good strategies, but uh, sometimes going in and planning it out ahead of time. is uh, also really good. <laughs> yeah. And I know with like when, when I first got into the game, uh, well, when I first returned to the game back in like 2007, mm-hmm. Like, I was buying up Tau stuff, and I didn't exactly know, like, what I should get Tau-wise, but that was, like, they had army boxes back then, you know, which were generally bigger than the start collecting boxes or the army boxes that you get now, but, like, there were good starter army box sets then, and then that was also around the time the first uh, big version of Apocalypse came out, and so they had a lot of really good bundles so I was buying stuff that was on really good – like, if you added up the cost of the models inside, it was a really good discount. So mm-hmm. I ended up – and I still have those models today. It's like I ended up with a lot of stuff. And some of them I ha- – like, I I think over time I have ended up using all of them, but never together all at once. Because <laughs> as additions have changed and as the meta has changed, what was good wasn't you know, stopped being good. And then suddenly things that were not good became good again. And that ebbs and flows. And that's one thing you do have to remember when, when building an army is that, especially as, as the games change, as rules change, as things get eroded or new armies and new units come out and kind of shift up how things play, this is not going to be a one and done process. And we'll talk a little bit about that at, at the end of the segment, but just, so that's one case where having a bunch of stuff is not necessarily a bad thing. And especially if you're getting stuff at discount, mm-hmm. like if you can buy somebody's army collection on eBay or if GW comes out with a bundle that provides some actually really good discounts and they sometimes, you know, a lot of times they'll do that like around Christmas time where if there's an army you've kind of had your eye on and they come out with like a kind of an extended bundle on it. Maybe that, you know, maybe you pull that trigger, even though maybe you're only going to use like two thirds of that box. It's not necessarily a bad thing to to buy it and have 
a few more options than you normally would. But you can easily go overboard, um, especially if it, if it's an army where they've just re- released like all the new kits, like they've redone the line, which doesn't happen terribly. Like pretty much the last army that happened with was Sisters. Everything is pretty much caught up at this point, but it can be very tempting to want to buy all the things. Um, and whether you do is up to you. Just know that you may end up spending way more money than you would need to to build your army. And you also might not buy the right things. So just just be aware. The other side, uh, the other option uh, is to design an army list and then buy to that. Like buy, mm-hmm. Like figure out what is your list. And that's what you were saying, Kevin, that you had done with your sister's list. Yeah, so like you know, it was one of those where like I knew with sisters coming out there was going to be a lot of new kits. And I didn't want to go through and do the same thing where I bought a bunch of things, uh, you know, especially all at once, um uh, because they you know, they released the army box and then they released the first wave and the second wave of all of these models, and I'm like, well, if, to get what I need, I'm going to need even if I'm controlled and like objectively just build to the 2000 point list, I'm going to need two boxes of this, three boxes of this. Et cetera, et cetera. So I needed to kind of plan out just from a practical standpoint how much money I could spend at once. Now, over time, I'm sure I will probably do what I always do and end up buying a couple extra kits and building onto it and building up that force to have some flexibility going forward. But I needed to like I wanted to be more focused so I'm not spending a huge outlay of cash and then have just this be swimming in this gray plastic models that I'm like, now I don't know what to do with and I'm overwhelmed. Um, and I think that it, this building the list, you know, kind of tweaking it, getting some feedback and then buying to that list has helped make this seem like a more manageable task because I was able to buy the models that I needed, get them all assembled. Now I've got them all based and now I'm getting ready to start painting them and I can like, okay, I don't have this huge variety of this huge mound that's setting here. I've got just this and this and this, and I can work on it and say, okay, these five are already a unit. These 10 are a unit. I can work on just these five for right now. And I think it's made it a much more manageable process to actually make progress on it. Yeah. And there's definitely something to be said for that, for having a, a far more controlled process, having, you know, you, you've, you've plotted out your purchases, so it's easier to budget for, you know, uh, what you're going to, to build and the strategy, you, know, you can be kind of formulating the strategy even before you've purchased a single model, which that's definitely some strengths that the downside of this path is that you have built your list, you've built your army to that list. And then when you actually go to play it, perhaps some things don't perform as well as you might like, or uh, you maybe, you know, some models are hard to magnetize or, um, or maybe you're just not good at magnetizing, especially if like this is your first army and you're kind of building based on the instructions in the book. Um, you might find that it's like, oh yeah, the options I took didn't perform as well as I'd like. I need to take some different options. Now I have to buy more stuff to to change up my list. So always always plan for things to go not as you planned. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, you, you might, 
if you build a list and purchase exactly to that list, you will cut down your extraneous purchases and you will have a firm goal in mind and you, you know, it'll be a very structured process and that can be very good. The downside is that process will not be finished and mm-hmm. no plan survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> well, and, and I will say this, like, I think that doing it this way is something that I would feel comfortable doing now. If I was just starting into 40 K, I would not do it this way. Like I, you know, I feel like I'm pretty, I'm definitely not a competitive player, but I feel like I'm pretty well versed in 40 K at this point. You know, and I'm up on the meta. I kind of know what things are going on. So I feel confident that like, okay, with this army, this is how I want to play. And this is what I would need. Somebody coming in brand new off the street won't have that depth of knowledge. Now, granted, you could listen to old podcast episodes and, you know, get that knowledge. Uh, But, you know, you're not going to know how how it plays until you start getting into it and actually playing. So, yeah, it definitely is a risk that you might build stuff in a non-optimized way or you might get to your list play it once and realize oh this list isn't fun mm-hmm. but but yeah so I, I think this is definitely a, a i would say a more advanced strategy to kind of build the list to you know build build the list first and then buy to that list mm-hmm. um and 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 kevin you've you've been beaten by enough competitive players that you should have learned some of this from osmosis anyway so I try not to learn anything when I play 40k. <laughs> and that has served you well. <laughs> Look, I'd rather be dumb and happy than actually I'd just rather be dumb and happy. Um, <laughs> um now technically there's there's kind you could also kind of take a hybrid approach and that is look at certain things like building blocks and like figure out what you can do with those blocks. So for example, start collecting boxes. Many start collecting boxes do not necessarily represent the best way, like competitively the best, most, uh, most focused tuned way to play a particular army, but they can be a good way to get your foot in the door on a particular army. And, depending on the start collecting set some army some are better than others so for example this is going to be this is going to be an age of sigmar example but i think it still applies because it's the same start collecting kit um demons of nurgle there's a demons of nurgle uh, start collecting kit and that has um a unit of plague bearers a unit of nurglings a unit of plague drones and a herald of nurgle and i had that I'd actually purchased that to go with my Death Guard uh, several years ago, and I got that put together. And then I got the Great Unclean one when that model came out because it was just a really cool model. And it was like it was a model that I'd kind of wanted for the Forge World version of for a long time, but never had pulled the trigger. And then having it available in plastic was much better. So I got that. And then I, and, and like a, along the way, I ended up getting i think in a trade a second start collecting box and so it's like i have these building blocks and so i started looking at like okay these are basic kits like i bought you know two start collecting boxes and basically a greater demon it's like well what can i do with this and because like death guard i was most like my death guard i mostly lean on just pure death guard it's like well could play this in Age of Sigmar, and it, I could still use these models in 40k, and that's fine. And so, 
I kind of used the basic setup that GW had provided and then looked and did some research on, okay, does this actually make a viable army? And I've actually got something that's around, it's not quite 2,000 points in uh, Age of Sigmar points, but it's like, it was figuring out how to use something that was kind of predetermined for me. So Mm -hmm. I was building, kind of building to the list, but also building the list with what I got. And, but I wouldn't, but if I had just started completely from scratch, it would have been a very different process. So you can always use, like, buy something as a springboard and then figure out where to build from there. And that might be, that's a way to get a start on it. But also know that the start collecting boxes generally only get you a quarter, maybe a third of the way towards like a fully functional 2000 point army. Mm -hmm. And that would be another thing is figuring out like, what are you trying? Like, how are you trying to play? Like, are you wanting to build like a 2000 point? I want to be able to take this to a tournament or to get a regular pickup game from other people who are kind of playing that level of game. Or am I wanting to build like a thousand point list just to kind of get my feet wet with this one and get started and kind of feel feel like what am i doing with the with this army yeah definitely because that's going to impact it like if you're doing if you're wanting to play in a a gt and and build a a a list for that level it's going to be a much different process than your slow grow league at the local store or your you know your beer and pretzel 40k game you know on, on friday night so yeah it's definitely what you're building for it also definitely determines how you're going to build it. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, uh, when you're building an army, keep in mind that that theme, but also keep in mind uh, playability. Uh, for example, unless you are planning to build an army around something like, I want to build an all-bike army, which means I'm not going to really have much in the way of like troops or something, you are going to want to do... You need to be doing a little bit of research and figuring out, okay, I need to buy... Like, I, I obviously have to have, like, a couple of HQs and probably at least three units of troops. Um, and keeping in mind that those do not, necessar- ha- do not necessarily have to be maxed out units of troops. Um, mm-hmm. You could buy a box of intercessors and that will get you two-thirds of the way because you could do, like, two five-man squads out of out of one of those boxes if you're doing Primaris Marines. Um, so, like, you might not have to buy a ton to to get those basic requirements, but it is something like you need to know that like that should be part of your outlay when, whether you are just buying all the things know that, well, I got to buy some troops. So I better buy, you know, like three boxes of sisters or three boxes of fire warriors. Cause I'm, or, you know, at least two boxes of fire warriors. Cause I know I'm going to need, need that. So you definitely want to have that in mind when you, when you do your purchases, whether you are building to a list or just buying stuff up, you know, because it looks cool. But you, yeah, you do need to do a little bit of basic research about, you know, the 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 ins and outs of, of army composition for that particular uh, for that particular force. If you're building something like custodes or gray knights where everything comes from like two kits, you know, as far as like your your main, you know, your main units, you might find yourself having a whole lot of options out of those and that's one where maybe having a plan would be a better way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause like Dennis and Richard, you both play armies where you had, like you can build like three different things, uh, three or four different things out of like one kit. 
Yeah. I know that when I started Grey Knights, um, it was right when the fifth edition codex came out and like those, those two kits that came out that built the majority of like all of the kits in the book, you know, I didn't, again, like a lot of the armies that I start, I didn't, didn't really plan per se what I was going to do, but like it was easy that way because I just knew that I needed to buy like two boxes of Terminators and like three boxes of, of the, the power armor or, or like the other way around. And then like, I could just kind of build it as I, I could figure it out as I was building it. Mm -hmm. I'll say custodes was an interesting one because yeah, you can like the base box, you can build a few ways, but they're kind of like the normal units and like most of their units are in their own boxes. You just have to know what you want because they're so high point costed that if you buy a wrong box and find out you don't like it, like I barely use the wardens because they, they they look cool, but they're, they're just not as useful on the battlefield for how I'm playing. And I did not buy a lot of jet bikes because I'm like, I've got a box that's that's enough to make the cool models but jet bikes were definitely at the time this was definitely way to go and so and if you bought in on like like the meta one there you'd buy a lot of that box and only a little of the base box that had mostly the custodes and i don't know it just it goes back to your saying of are you building for competitive are you building because it looks cool and in the end, you'll, you're probably going to blur the lines over time. It's just how how you start your initial purchases. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, with a lot of kits, and, may, and maybe even if it's just building, like, you know, it's like you can build one unit out of this particular box. Like, let's say Imperial Guardsman. You can build an imper- unit of Imperial Guardsman out of, like, you know, KDM Guardsman out of a box of KDM Guardsman. Now, granted, those could be veteran. Like, there's a couple of units you can kind of squeeze out of that, but they're all going to look the same. But it might come down to, like, well, how, like, what special weapons am I going to put on there? Because a lot of times you're limited to, like, one or maybe two of each special weapon. Mm-hmm. But you might not. So, like, maybe you end up buying a an extra box of troops just so you have extra bodies to throw. And, and so you have extra special weapons, too. And it's like, okay, so I'm going to build, like... These three boxes are going to be like, these are going to be the guys that are going to be most of the troops choice. And then I'm going to buy a box that is like, these are just going to be, I'm going to take all the special weapons from all four boxes and put them on those 10 guys. Um, You might find yourself doing that with like Sisters of Battle because you want to have a lot of Storm Bolters. And so you need extra or, but you also want to have maybe a couple of Flamers available if you decide to to switch that up Um, because, you know, Different, depending on what you're playing, different things like storm bolters are generally considered a pretty good choice, but you might also like where you, what flamers do, but so you might want to have both available. So having extra bodies around to equip with those extra choices, but that's something you, you can either decide again at the time of list building, or you can just decide like, I'm going to have some extra options available. I want to have those in hand in case I decide to change up my list a bit. 
Now, the other thing we haven't really talked about a whole lot is the actual process of buying. And uh, normally, again, I would say like, well, GW, you can always buy directly from GW, uh, except for right now, because their warehouse is closed, their production line is closed, their web store currently has everything marked as temporarily out of stock online, except for the couple of like made order models that they they have up for order right now. In a normal world, and normal timeline, that that would be a place you could definitely buy things. Whether or not it's necessarily the best choice to buy things directly from GW is up to you. But a lot of areas have independent game stores that have these models available. Uh, they may have a reduced list because Games Workshop has a lot of stuff that's available directly, you know, only available directly from the manufacturer. But uh, or you know, it's only like web store only. Uh, but, uh, there's a lot of independent stores and even especially right now, there's a lot of stores that are sitting on stock and would be more than happy to ship you stuff. Uh, so that is definitely an option for buying. You can buy from, from local game stores and a lot of local game stores also offer, um, like a 10% discount on games workshop stuff. Just be, you know, to kind of reward people from buying and playing in the same place. There's other options as well. Um, like, again, I recommend, you know, Games Workshop is a great place to start. Another option is eBay. Now, eBay, you might end up skipping the entire how to design my army, you know, phase of this because you might just buy somebody's army on eBay mm-hmm. or buy somebody's collection. Um, I have, I've, I don't think I've ever bought an army off eBay. i I I have bought a few individual models on eBay though. So I I don't know I I I'm being upfront like it is an option I it's not one I have ever actually followed. But a lot of times you'll see armies hit eBay because somebody is moving from one army to another because uh maybe they're getting out of the hobby or maybe they're changing up what they're playing or you know they're Maybe it's somebody who is chasing the meta and now they want something new and cool and they, they couldn't have before. Um, that is a case where uh, I don't want to say buyer beware because that seems untrustworthy or like not untrustworthy. That seems like you're not necessarily trusting people on eBay, but you can definitely not trust people on eBay sometimes. <laughs> Just right. The, the nature of the beast. Yeah. I mean, and at least going through something like eBay does have you know a, an issue resolution system if there are problems um whereas like there's other options like there's trading groups on facebook and stuff like that where you're just communicating directly with the buyer to get stuff and that's that's definitely an area where i would say definitely kind of be more leery of of those just because there is no kind of safety net at least with ebay if you buy something and then it never ships or it never gets to you or whatever there is a way to resolve that and you know, get your money back or, or get some resolution. So you're not completely left holding the bag. Hmm. Uh, something else to take into account on eBay when buying armies is, uh, there are some more phrases to be careful of, such as the phrase pro painted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pro painted does not necessarily mean commission painted. Pro painted. Yeah. Sometimes it, it turns means, out that's a phrase that means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so. Sometimes pro painted means, well, somebody paid me like, a couple of bucks to paint a model for them once. So I paint. So now I'm a pro. I mean, by that logic, technically I'm a pro painter. So there you go. (laughs) Um, Also 
army pricing can vary wildly depending on what somebody is trying to get out of it. If somebody is just trying to get out of the hobby and recoup a little bit of cost or a little bit of time, or if they're looking like maybe they've got to move and they've got to move, you know, they've got to sell an army relatively quickly, they might price the army at maybe close to their original retail cost, maybe even a little bit cheaper. Alternately, if somebody is got a big collection or it's decently painted or they've got the advantage of, hey, I want to sell this off, but I'm going to take my time on doing it because I want to get as much as I can out of it. Um, You could pay upwards, uh, you you could easily pay over $1,000 for an army. Mm Mm-hmm. But you know, it just kind of depends on on uh, again what you're trying to get out. Uh, you know, get army wise. Also, remember that when you're buying an army on eBay, you are limited to what they have featured in in the army. So it's like if if that you know you may be stuck with like this is the army you bought and that's the options you have. Now make the make the best of it. And sometimes that can be perfectly fine. Sometimes that can kind of leave you in an odd spot and then you're going to have to continue building the army only now you might have to figure out how to match the paint scheme of the stuff you bought if you bought a painted army to strip or, it, right or figure out how to strip it or figure out how to strip it and there are definitely products that will help you with that um but uh you know sometimes though it can be a way like if you've always wanted to have a fully painted army and you just don't really want to put forth the effort and somebody has the army you know the kind of army you want you want and it looks good and you're willing to pay the price like here's one that is a a fully painted harlequin's army it looks like it's uh it's got an eldari webway it's got several um uh several of the the bikes several of the uh like star weavers and void weavers whole bunch uh or not i say a whole bunch probably like 20 to 30 like harlequin troop models and then a couple of each character like i see a troop master a shadow seer a couple of death jesters a solitaire yeah it looks like it's about like uh probably about yeah eight of the bikes and then about six it looks like six star weavers and one void weaver and then the uh like i said the webway gate and that list is and it's beautifully painted it's got like Really nice checkerboard work on it. It's all in green and yellow, so you'd be kind of stuck with that color pattern. That army's going for $3,000. Wow. Now, part of that's going to be because it is a nicely painted army. It's got a very consistent theme throughout, good consistent basing. It is a complete army. You could play that right now. And, uh, but yeah, like I said, it's pricey it's very pricey and and they give a full yeah. list of like here's everything it includes they tell you that the the owner gives you like the the full weapon breakdown of here's everything that's included and it includes the codex and the data cards and everything that's oh, really that's cool also nice yeah uh freehand detail you know through full of fully painted with great attention to detail harlequin army for 40k you know it's all got squad identifiers uh things like that so really cool $3,000. It also does not mention how that is being shipped to you, if it's going to include any storage or not. So just, you know, these are things to be aware of. But if you want an army that is, you know, like that, maybe that's the army for you. And if you've got $3,000 to put on it, great. If not, maybe look for something else. Or for 3000 you could build that army yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely that balance of like, can you, is does that 
does that army look cool? Like I'm looking at that, the same one here and I'm like, you know, I know that I wouldn't be able to paint a Harlequin army that nice. So like maybe, you know, maybe there's a case where it's like, well, yeah, if I really wanted to play that army and I had the money, that's, that's a fair price for this, Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, yeah, but you definitely are going to see a wide range of options. Definitely reach out and talk to the to the person. Like I was looking at this, you mentioned the uh, doesn't really mention shipping, so I started looking down at the details. And he even puts in the in the the bottom comment here. Um, if you have any questions regarding this army, feel free to ask. Offers are considered of serious and appropriate. Uh, I will decline any offer that I you know that I think is an attempt to make a cheap purchase, etc. So like even on the the seller side, like they're trying to put protections in, you know in place of themselves. It sounds like he's trying to make sure this goes somewhere, you know, where it's going to be used and it's going to be a good, good sale. So, uh, you know, just negotiate, you know, work, reach out to the person that's selling on eBay, get as much information as you can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there will be a lot of armies and, you know, some of them will be high quality. Some people will just be selling, like some people won't even be selling painted armies. Maybe the, it's like, like if I search for 40 K army unpainted, yeah, there will be people who are just selling lots of like, here's some partially built stuff. And, you know, maybe that's got the models you need to to get started. You know, again, it's just like that this could be just a source for getting getting kits or getting models, or sometimes getting rare models mm-hmm. or yeah. older models. Another word on eBay, another word that you might look for instead of typing in like Tyranid Army or or whatever Try like Tyranid lot. Yes, lot yes. is a word to definitely keep an eye for because sometimes it's not a cohesive army. Sometimes it's just a whole bunch of models. But maybe yeah. that's what you're looking for. Right. Yeah. The times that I've bought stuff off eBay, I've tended to buy the unpainted models. You know, where I try to find something where the it's typically older models or things that are you know that are unpainted, you know, unassembled or unpainted, so that I can then get it and paint it up to match my current schemes and fit into, into my army and, and not have to go through the stripping process. Yeah. So like, here's a perfect example. Warhammer 40 K Necrons army lot unpainted uh, is one I found a selling army of Necrons. They're unpainted so they can match your army. And it actually looks like they've been assembled and primed silver. So they're not completely painted. There's a few models that are, like there's like one or two models that are painted, but most of them are just like prime silver, but they're assembled. Uh, models pictured are the ones being sold, so you can see exactly what you're getting. All models will be carefully packed and shipped to keep them safe and intact. Gives a list of what what's included, and it's enough to like it's a start of an army. It's got uh, five Lich Guard, a Crypt Tech, a Necron Overlord, a Necron Lord on foot, and Rakir the Traveler. Five Immortals, five Death Marks, thirty Necron Warriors, and, uh, and eight Canoptic Scarab bases that's that's a starting place for an army and actually there's more hqs there than you'd probably use than you could use in one detachment but it would give you a couple of options so if you were looking at necrons 250 dollars, and you don't even have to assemble them that's not a bad deal you know that's that's actually and it's all primed silver so like you've actually got your starting you know your painting started so maybe that's, you know, those are the kinds of things you can look for and say, like, this doesn't have to be an entire army. It may just be the stepping stone that I need. Think of it like, mm-hmm. again, a more, may, maybe a more complete version of like a start collecting box type thing. So um, just, you know, if you're shopping on eBay for used models, these are some things to look for. Like, Propainted doesn't mean anything. 
read the descriptions carefully. Don't be afraid to ask questions of the buyers and, you know, definitely and look for phrases like lot or, you know, army is good, lot is good. Just, you know, do some do some careful shopping. Um, so we've gone from the stage of like, how do I like, what do I even like, how do I even approach buying an army and giving you a couple of different ways to look at that different places you can buy your stuff. And then, uh, so once you've got it, unless you bought your stuff off of eBay already built and or painted, then you've got to actually go through the, uh, construction period. Um, there are some people who have an issue with playing with anything unpainted. I am not one of those people. (laughs) I don't think any of us are. (laughs) Uh, now if I'm going to an event, absolutely. I will have my stuff painted. But if I'm just starting off on a new army, I will build stuff and then try it out. And I will generally do that at smaller point levels if I can, because that will start, you know, let me get a feel for this. And that, you know, especially if if I'm in a case where I haven't bought everything yet. So maybe that's where I would I would say, like, plotting out a 2000 point list is fine and it, it, and especially if you are a more experienced player that is definitely a thing you can do if you are a newer player start at smaller point levels even mm-hmm. if you're plotting out your purchases that way um even if like i'm going to plan a 1000 point list get the 1000 points build it and then see if you can get in some games with it and give your opponent the caveat of I just bought this stuff. I'm giving it a spin. Maybe you haven't even decided on a color scheme yet, and that's fine. Uh, but, you know, it's like, hey, I'm just trying these out. Uh, sorry that they're not painted. Or, you know, maybe you just, like, get them built and primed. A lot of people will forgive primed models more than they'll forgive gray plastic. Uh, but because at least primed models show that you are you are on the path to getting them painted. But, you know... Uh, for for casual practice games, unpainted or partially painted is totally fine. Uh, but give it a few, you know, try some stuff out and then see if that's going to change how you're building the rest of your stuff. Um, but uh, also, one of the downsides of buying, like when, when we talked about our earlier plans, like buying all the things is now you have a very imposing pile of boxes full of sprues to build mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and I don't that, know who you're talking about uh, i think i'm talking about all of us <laughs> we have all done this <laughs> where it's like okay i've got all this stuff oh crap i have to build all this stuff <laughs> and sometimes that can you can bite off more than you more than you can chew or at least more than you're ready to chew in which case you've got your army built or you've got your army purchased, just pick a box. Just one box. And if it's like if you're if it's an army box, like a start collecting box or something, pick one unit inside that box. Build that. Don't don't bother about the rest of it. Don't look at the rest. Don't even maybe even just start with one character. Like if it's a if it's a start collecting box and it's got an HQ, you know, which they all all the start collecting boxes do. Pick the HQ, build him done now and now you've like you've chipped off a piece of that that big block then pick another unit and build that and don't think of it as i'm building an entire army just think of it as i'm building in these individual kits one at a time and that that will help that 
seem less imposing. And same thing with painting. It can be very imposing to, especially if you are new or if you are not somebody who is a fan of, of doing painting. And there are definitely players like that. Um, mm-hmm. Don't like trying to do everything at once is one of the surest ways to make sure you never do any of it. Cause it, it can be, it, it is something, especially if you are new at it, it can be very imposing. But if you work again on small pieces at a time, then you will actually, you'll find yourself making progress in small, controllable, easy to handle chunks. And then as time goes on, you'll realize how, like, you're working through that backlog. Now, this is much easier to do if you have done the, I've plotted out my army and I I have bought just the things I need for it. I mean, you might still end up with a pile of kits to work on, but then you at least know, like, there's a clear endpoint at which this army will be done and playable. You know, I, I know exactly the point at which I will stop and be able to use this, which you might not have if you have, like, the huge pile of this is the entire collection of... Like, I bought all the Gene Steeler cult stuff. Okay, well, I guess I'll be done when it's all done, and then I can play with it. Whereas, as opposed to, like, I wanted to play Gene Steeler cult list. So I had maybe I had a friend who plays more competitively and helped me design a list, and I bought just the kits for that. I know that once all these kits are done, I will have a fully playable army. And that may be the thing that helps you uh, focus and, and kind of push through that pile of plastic. But just remember, take it one step at a time, one kit at a time, one unit at a time, and uh, and and you'll you'll end up making progress and and seeing that it is it is a surmountable challenge. So at this point, you've got your army built, possibly painted. You know, take it at your own pace, and you've started playing with it. As we mentioned a couple of times before, that doesn't mean you're done. Because now you're going to actually see if the list is doing what you wanted it to do. And that is, you've got this army, start assuming you're going to have to make adjustments. And that, and at that point, you are no longer in the part of buying a new army. You are, you have entered the, the realm of maintaining an existing army, which is a whole different kettle of fish. (laughs) And that's one of those things that, will also change whether, you know, it's like part of it is because your list will not necessarily perform the way you were hoping it would, or it performs pretty well, but when I face off against blank, uh, I have a lot of trouble, so I need to adjust to figure out how, like, how can I deal with armies that are good at blank? Um, Or it may be a matter of, oh, this was really, this list was pretty decent and then gw came out with a new book and now they've added new options or uh they've changed up like they changed point costs or they they gave them a new data sheet or hey there's this new stratagem that suddenly makes this other choice that i hadn't purchased at the time suddenly much more viable but like uh like for example with death guard uh that's one of the reasons why we gave the advice early on of Death Guard has certain options right now that are what a, a, a more more or less standard Death Guard list would have, but when War of the Spider comes out, that could completely change. So if you started building a Death Guard list now, you might have it built and possibly even painted because Death Guard is one of those armies that paints very fast. Because if you can spray paint, you know, Death Guard green and then apply Agrax Earthshade, you are like two thirds of the way there. Um, <laughs> But uh, what is good in that list, what ha- like what 
options are are good may very well change. Some things may get re you know may get new points costs. Some things might, like might get revised data sheets. Maybe they'll go ahead and give disgustingly resilient to all the units that didn't have it, uh, except maybe chaos cultists, which totally makes sense. But like a death guard defiler or hellbrute probably should have disgustingly resilient. If those get those that ability, suddenly those become viable for that army, and that can completely change up how that army plays. So be prepared to know that the army that you have purchased is not going to be the final form of this army for all time. And that's, again, one of the advantages of having the big collection is that you can morph your list more easily as things change, whereas if you built to the list, you are going to have to go through that purchase process again and do more research. But, uh, but I mean, that's for me, like I generally like with a lot of my armies, I, ha- I ended up going the former route and I don't, at this point I'm just buying stuff piecemeal. I think my days of buying into a completely brand new army are over knock on wood. Possibly, possibly don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I can't say that for me. I know for me, I was absolutely done buying brand new armies until like sisters and custodes and death watch came out. So and death card <laughs> thousand sons. So really, yeah. So until they release another cool army, I'm done. <laughs> you mean like squats? Uh, honestly, if they were to release a squats army, yes, I would buy that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and and the thing, like if they did a uh, one of the things we talked about was like trader guard. If they did a released a renegade guard army, hell yeah, I'd buy that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I have self control problems. <laughs> <laughs> And keep in mind, this is after he's done a massive purge of un- unbuilt right. kits. That was just to make well, room for all the new unbuilt kits you're going to own right. in the future. Well, look, now, I'm bu- now I'm actually building them as I buy them. So. See, <laughs> see, we're all proud of you, Kevin. Yay! <laughs> so, did anybody else have uh, tips for like that things that they've experienced when, when starting up a new army? I think you you hit all the highlights there, and truthfully, I've done the same as you have since I have a bunch of armies. I've planned out the army, and explicitly, here's my points, here's my things, and I just bought exactly that. I've bought, hey, all these models look cool, let's let's put it into an army list after I bought the stuff. And then I've done the thing of, hey, let me buy everything. I'm looking at you, Eldar. Although, even with that one... I started out with a theme and a focus and then kind of gradually expanded to everywhere. So those really are kind of like the three steps to get in and it just how you want to get in, whether you're looking to be competitive driven, cool model driven, you have a story in your head that you want to tell with the models you've picked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those are good first steps. Yeah. I think knowing what you're trying to get out of the army definitely helps because if you're trying, you know, some people it's going to be trying to, I want to build a, I want to build a competitive army that'll that'll finish in the top ten at a GT or something. And you you research and you build towards that army, um, or you come up with a cool like theme, like for the LVO army, the Alpha Legion that I took last year. I specifically wanted to do a 30k uh, non chaos trader army. Okay, so I went out and I bought those specific models and I built towards that list, and that kind of drove what I bought, how I built the army, how I painted the army. And then also the biggest one was just like what the deadline was, because I knew that I needed to have it ready by LVO. So 
I had a firm deadline in place where I knew like, okay, I need to get this done. I need to bunker down and do this and, and paint and do all these things. And having those deadlines uh, certainly helps. So yeah, if you're just uh, thinking about starting a new army, or maybe you've already you have decided to start a new army, but you're kind of trying to figure out th- the best way to get about it. I, I think what it all comes down to is there isn't necessarily a best way. There is what way works for what you're trying to do, works for your budget, works for um, yeah you, the goal you have in mind. Uh, but yeah, you know, just. Keep those things in mind and remember to just work through it, you know, one step at a time. And and then uh, before you realize it, you'll get there and you'll have it done, uh, which I think is also a good transition into the little bit of hobby progress. Uh, I know, uh, Dennis, you have really not done a lot of hobby progress. Yeah, my plans really have been to wait until I move and then unpack and get things set up there. So I've I, – the, the whole – stay at home stay in place thing is kind of like i said put put a lot of things i would normally do on pause so that's kind of where i'm at but at the same time you don't want to unpack stuff and start working on it no no i mean technically i have some stuff that is not packed yet because i don't have enough kr cases (laughs) but um, akr is still open and shipping stuff by the way so okay might have to look into that because i think i could use about four or five more cases (laughs) but (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to order some because as my collections are growing, I've got to figure out boxes to put them in. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my that might be my progress is looking up more boxes now that I've unearthed more stuff. What about you, Kevin? Any Anything that you've been working on this week? So the big one that I've been working on is I finished getting all of the, the sisters uh, army built and uh, I was able to, to base code it. Uh, over the last few days, um, it's basically now I've got a 2000 point army ready to go, you know, to start painting and kind of working on that. And then, yeah, that's, that's kind of my progress is to start using the airbrush and working on it and painting and seeing what I can get done. How about you, Richard? Um, I finished putting together the, the one war glaive that I was working on last episode Uh, And then put together the second one. And then I've also put together a couple of um, uh, Tech Priest Dominuses. One was from the Kill Team box. And uh, the other one was the one that came out of the Forge Bane box. And now I've got like about three of the the Skitari Vanguard models put together. And I'm still working on those and that's about all i've gotten done so just slowly working towards a mechanicus army or at least a small force yeah just a small force probably just to to go along with the the couple of knights that i'm going to be also putting together that i have cool cool um as for me i finally finished painting uh my my nurgle demons i still have like a unit of plague drones to build and a unit of nurglings to paint, but I have enough stuff. Like I, I finished painting like this week, painting 30 plague bearers, three plague drones and a great unclean one, which I've had like the great unclean one has been like the, like the base green color on it has been done for like, since that model came out. So I finally got that 
all that done. And then I went ahead and ordered the, uh, the Maggotkin of Nurgle book for Age of Sigmar because I'm thinking about primarily trying to use this in Age of Sigmar. Uh, but again, as I said earlier, you know, I have these army, I have these units available, but it's, it's nice to finally have this done and kind of off my list. Although one difference between Age of Sigmar and 40k is 40k has the rule of bases are like what legal, what base is legal for your figures? Well, it's whatever they came with. And before a year or two ago, Plague Bears came on 25 millimeter bases. They now come on 32 millimeter bases. And all of mine were based on 25s. Now for 40k, not a big deal. Age of Sigmar, they have basing guidelines now. And like, if you want to use these in like an official event, you have to have them based to the size of round base that is listed in this PDF document. So I had to rebase 50 Plague Bearers because I had 20 already painted. Mm. And then the ones I was painting were also already assembled and on 30 or on 25 mil bases. I managed to only break three legs. <laughs> well, that's good. And, and those legs are actually rather spindly. So I was pretty happy with that. And then the legs that broke were relatively easy to uh, plastic cement back together. So, so everybody's fine and intact now, but uh, that's good. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a bear. Uh, so that, that army is done. And now I'm moving on to, like, on my Instagram, I put up, uh, what should I paint next? Should, what should I work on next? Should I work on the brand new Commander Shadow Sun, or should I work on finishing my Daughters of Cain army for Age of Sigmar? And it was overwhelmingly a vote for Shadow Sun. So she is next on my uh, assembly and painting table. So I will unofficially vote for Shadow Sun. Well, the, congratulations. You have joined the majority. So, yay. <laughs> so that, so hopefully by next episode, I will have her at the very least assembled and possibly completely painted, but I have nothing else well on the way to being painted. So I have a quick question though. Um, you mentioned that there are basing guidelines for age of Sigmar and yes. there's not any for 40 K. Do you think that's something that needs to be added to 40 K or is it was it so much of a pain that you're like, I hope they just keep with the nebulous, use the bases that came with the models? Um, honestly, f for game balance and consistency, I kind of like the idea as much of a pain as rebasing these were. And as much as I'm not looking forward to rebasing all my sisters who are on resin bases, mm -hmm. I kind of like the idea of having things consistent i i do too but i i, I wanted to talk to somebody who had to ac actually go through the rebasing project <laughs> and and see because i've because i've been lucky i haven't really had to rebase a lot of my stuff so i've rebased all my noise marines i've rebased all my plague marines so like marines are easier to rebase because they've got nice chunky legs but they do but uh yeah rebasing these i was a little bit worried about and rebasing my sisters is just a pain because i don't want to take them off the nice decorative resin bases i got for them but mm -hmm. uh it is what it is so yeah i think for me i the the weirdness is gonna come not so much on like the infantry although some things like where they've introduced new base sizes like the 28 mil bases that a few units are on where they just now started selling those separately and nobody's really done like custom size, like custom resin bases or things like that. It's like, that's a pain for, for that process. And I think it's something age of Sigmar also had the benefit of 
it was models that were being converted off of square bases. So people were already kind of rebasing their models anyway. So it's, it's a, I think it was an easier transition to say, okay, we want everything onto these bases now. 40K, it's going to be a little bit of a harder sell, especially when you have models like skimmers where the base literally, as per the rules, doesn't matter. Sure. So, so there's, there, there's a, there's a larger, I, I think there'd be a larger cultural shift. And you also have weirdness of like bike bases, which I think cavalry yeah, has skimmers, jet bikes, those, those bases are just there to hold up the model. Yeah. But like, I'm also thinking bike, like, uh, bike bases, like for like space marine bikes. Yeah. The, then the cavalry bases. Yeah. Because they've, they were. My seekers once, have had three different bases. Yeah. Cause you had the old fantasy style rectangles. And then you had like the lozenge shaped, like super oblongs, super oblongs. And then now you've got the oval bases. And honestly, they look really good on the oval bases. The oval, and the oval bases are the most recent bases. Well, the old metal seekers had. Yeah. So, but that's also a thing of there's two different models. We've got the current plastic ones that are in the really, really thin oblong one, or you've got the metal ones that are on this and it's the same unit. Yeah. Very, very many questions. When they did the, the made to order ones, were they sold on the square base, like the rectangle bases or the oblongs or on neither? They were sold on the ovals. Okay. So that, that's why I said that's the most recent one. Okay. So that makes it pretty clear what they want people to be using. Yeah. But it's they, just not fun basing them on there. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's not. them onto there. It is not. It is not. But I, I really do think even if they just put out a list of here's all the models and the most recent base we've put them on. Even if it wasn't like a you have to follow this, but just kind of a rough guideline of, hey, if you're kit bashing or if you want to rebase that for consistency, these are this is the newest base size, that'd be really nice. Otherwise, right now you have to like go through their web store and figure out, okay, so what size bases are included with these models? And sometimes, usually they tell you, but sometimes they don't. And if it's an older kit, it might not be consistent with newer kits. So, yep. So yeah, no, I, w- I would love to see at least consistent basing guidelines, if not hard, fast rules on, on base size. Okay, good. I, yeah, that's kind of where I lean towards as well. I just was – I was wondering if you thought having gone through it now a couple of times, if it was worth it to potentially have to rebase everything I, to – I think – I would say yes, that it's worth it. For 40 and, – and I would also say like for presentation – like at first it seems kind of silly, but – Having done it, it also makes those models that go on larger bases feel larger. Like comparing space, like Chaos Space Marines to cultists, now actually feels like a like a difference. Like it, it, it feels like it explains like this model technically controls this larger piece of you know just by virtue of larger stature controls this larger piece of the the field, and it just it it just kind of helps with the feel, and especially with like newer models like the newer chaos space Marines or obviously like any of the Primaris Marines. I, I really do feel that that's uh that, that it, it, it does. It, it helps presentation wise. They look better on those bases. Mm-hmm. And from there, uh, let's swap to our final phase, which is the morale phase. And we talked about this. I'm going to pick the subject this time. And I know a couple of you talked about it briefly last episode, but I'm going to put out the final fantasy seven remake 
for the morale phase. <laughs> yep. Yep. I was just thinking about that because we were talking about it a little bit over our break. So. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about it a lot last night on our yeah. the, the role playing game that uh, three of us are in. And uh, this is it's funny. You guys like had it pre ordered and pre downloaded and ready to play on like yep. launch day. Um, yes. yeah. I didn't jump on the train until probably about a week later. I regret I, I regret not jumping in earlier. It's been a blast. Yeah, I I for one it it's kind of strange because while Final Fantasy VII surprisingly was actually the first Final Fantasy game that I actually ever played. I didn't play any of the the old school ones. Uh, I really wasn't into RPGs at the time, uh, but it, I don't remember it that well and i don't have i didn't feel like i had a lot of nostalgia for like the story because i didn't remember it but once i was like playing through the remake and i think the biggest thing was just like hearing the music again in an updated form actually hit that like nostalgia thing like really hard for me which I wasn't actually expecting to happen. I think I was a lot like you, Richard, where it's been ages since I played Final Fantasy VII. So to me, there there are some things that are slightly different in th- this version. I couldn't pick those out because to me, everything really felt updated and new and fresh. And it brought back some nostalgia for the things I did remember. But it gave me new experiences for the, either the things I didn't remember or the new extra fleshing out they did of a lot of the characters and locations. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I that mirrors my experience as well because, I mean, 7 was not the first one I played. But um, I think it was actually the first Final Fantasy I finished. Um, and I remember – like a lot of my memories of Final Fantasy VII, strangely enough, Dennis are hanging out at your dorm room playing Final Fantasy VII on your PlayStation <laughs> uh, with Renee sitting next to me, and now we're doing that again, like twenty something years later. <laughs> no, with, you're not in my dorm room. No, not in your dorm I'm room. I'm not in the dorm room. No, you're not in a dorm room. But you know, it's that same kind of like <laughs> she's watching me play again, and so there, there's that like personal nostalgia. But yeah, I'm kind of with you, Richard. Like, there's a lot of moments where. I don't think I, if you had asked me about them, I wouldn't have consciously remembered. But as they came up in game, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I remember this. And so it's like this weird mix of hitting the right nostalgia notes with at the same time being like a reboot or reimagining where they've got the freedom to update some things and flesh out characters and... You know, the presentation also helps because let's face it, the Final Fantasy VII, like little poly model characters did not really help with emotion much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so it helps some of the characters feel a lot less, to pardon the pun, two dimensional. Um, You know, it, it like there are characters who don't feel just like a stereotype, but actually feel like, you know, feel like well-written characters. Um, And it's also interesting, something I've done a couple of times, like I'll play through a sequence and then I'll be like, I wonder what that was like. What, how was that in the original game? And I'll go like watch some footage of it on YouTube. And it's like, 
wow, this new version is just so much more impactful or feels much more meaningful. And I think part of it is, you know, they're not leaning on random encounters anymore. Everything's far more constructed than it was. And so, yeah, it's just, it's better storytelling. The action is really good. If anybody here has played, anybody listening has played um, Final Fantasy 15, it's got a similar kind of, you know, it's real-time action RPG with a little bit of the the turn-based, like, or, like, time-based ability activation. But it also, like, you have the ability, and it's actually a very good part of the strategy of, like, bouncing between your your three playable characters at any given time. Um, So it's a really engaging battle system, but it still feels like kind of a classic... Like, it's a good fusion of that and classic JRPG. So I really enjoyed that. And I think it's also interesting how, like, from our discussions, like, how differently strategically we're approaching things and, like, what tools we are and aren't using and still getting through it, just playing through different – with different battle techniques and still they're all viable paths to victory. Yeah. Because I know, like, we were having discussions last night and it's like, oh, yeah, no, I've I've never actually used that materia. How does that even work? And like, oh yeah, no, it, it it works for this, and I've been using that as a strategy. I'm like, oh really? Because I've just been I've just been going like a far more like like less support and more just aggro tactic. Mostly because I just didn't hadn't played around with some of the experimentation, you know, and experimented with it. But there's all these different strategies that actually work, so that's really cool. So um I have not uh, now I think I may be alone among the three of us and that I have not finished it yet. Yeah, I, I, that's true. I, yeah, I've finished it, and I'm pretty sure Dennis has too. Yeah, so so I ha- now I am aware of some of the big spoilers at the end, so we're not going to discuss them here. But I have not experienced them yet myself. But I will say this, from what I understand, it leaves us in a very interesting place for whenever Final Fantasy VII Remake 2 comes out. Because do keep in mind, this is not a remake of the entire game. This is a remake of like the first few hours of the first game, which wasn't even the entirety of the first disc of the game. So there's a lot more ground to be covered, but things will not necessarily go the way they did in the first time around. And part of that is just the nature of being a reboot and a reimagining. But from what I understand, there's actually some big story bits about that. But uh, if, if you have a PS4 and you are either nostalgic for old Final Fantasy games or you want to kind of get, like, what is the big deal about Final Fantasy VII to a lot of people, I'd say this is definitely one to check out. Yeah, and and there is a there is a demo available for it that you can download for free on PS4. Mm-hmm. It, it does not take you very far into the game, but it will give you a feel for, like, the combat system and the presentation. Yeah. And uh, I went ahead and I did do the, down, the demo first, and, you know... Like like I said, a week after the actual game was out, like I didn't bother with the demo when it first hit, but like after trying the demo, I'm like, okay, yeah, what the hell, I'll give it a try, and I'm glad I did because it's it's been great. So very very highly recommended, Kevin. That's your homework for this week. Yeah, I <laughs> I I know I you like have a PS4. Games, but, no, I do. I like playing video games, but I've got so many backlogs of video games that I haven't even played yet that I'm like, I don't need to buy another game and start it. <laughs> You know, just like I you, mean, you don't need to start just, another 40K army. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. 
Yeah. Hey, the the demo is what maybe a half an hour. If that, yeah, it's if that. So at least at yeah. least give the demo a try. Yeah, I'll have to do that. I I never actually played Final Fantasy VII on the PS when it first so came out, but I played. Huh. Well, so It'll I played Final Fantasy VI on the the Super Nintendo, and I've played those types of games. But yeah, like I've not. I mean, I, granted, Final Fantasy VII's a big enough pop culture touchdown that I know like the story and I know what happens in it, but yeah, it, it'll be a, a new experience to go through and play it. So yeah, I may try to try the demo and see what I see what I decide to do after that. Um, I will say one thing. If you play playing the first, the, the full thing, don't be surprised at the absolute thirst that some of the characters uh, express. <laughs> cause, cause the the writers were getting the the writers just decided to like let these characters completely just say well exactly what they wanted <laughs> um that but but no it's it's a good game and and the characterizations like i said the characterizations are much better including uh the main character cloud who's always been kind of um portrayed as you know somebody with like no personality like throughout the entirety of the original final fantasy 7 Cloud really just was not even a blank slate because a blank slate would imply you could write and apply your own personality onto him. He just had nothing. He was just completely just a null. Um, the new characterization of him comes across as someone who is very guarded and guarded, distant, possibly a bit damaged, or at the very least, um, you know somebody who may be not neurotypical not 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 in a bad way but just somebody who's like i'm not good at humaning but you see him develop and grow just like through this and and start actually being able to interact with people and it doesn't change who he is but he gets better at expressing himself and expressing emotion so he's got he develops more character as the game goes on without completely changing as a person to something. It's not like he's like suddenly like happy go lucky, silly, wacky guy at the end, but he's better at expressing himself. So it, it's good to see. It's like they're, they're the writing is much better this time around. They're using the same story bits and the writers are people who worked on the original final fantasy seven. So it's not like they're people who are like, Oh, we're going to take this and completely redo it. Cause it's garbage. It's more like they're going to retake it and like, how would we do things a little like if we if we could had the freedom to do what we really wanted to do back mm-hmm. then and the means to do it? Could we do it again and do it better? And I think the answer is yes, they absolutely have. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up episode number 215. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode and hopefully uh, things will have started possibly getting a little bit better out there and you'll be able to maybe order models from GW again and maybe get towards uh, starting that new army. Uh, But again, remember there's eBay and there's plenty of independent game stores who would love to have your business if they're able to ship stuff out. So don't forget to look at them. They, they need to, they're not getting foot traffic, so they need all, all the help they can get. But until then that pretty much wraps it up. So from all of us here at preferred enemies, I'm Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Good night, good gaming, and remember, stay healthy and safe, everybody.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.